Acknowledge me. It's a new day. Yes, it is. I am Vaughn Johnson. Who? Smile at you and kick your face off. I'm down with that. You got me mad now. You got a back, nigga. I'm feeling good. All the skeptics and all the people have a little bit of... Let me do this again. Oh, it's live, pal. Sorry. I love Virgil. I was like, yes, like this guy's awesome. With my man, man, pots and pans, Nick McCone. That's me. Are you humanoid? Get ready. I don't know where the kid is that was a riding it, but he ain't on it when they brought it to the ring. Hip, yes, some And I have half the brain that you do. But I don't like it when things aren't going my way. Don't you dare be sour. Too sweet. I got know my wrestling. Ball, right? He don't know. He don't know nothing else. <laughs> he know that wrestling. But he know that wrestling ball. <laughs> and he was about to hop over the table. What? what? You are achy, breaky heart. Wanna be fresh? Oh! No sleep, no food, no nothing. Just maniacism. They got the water, man. Give me a hell yeah! I said, give me a hell yeah! What's up, ladies and gentlemen, out there in internet land, and welcome to episode 343 of The Straight Shooters, available wherever podcasts are found. My name is Vaughn Johnson of the Philadelphia Inquirer, and I'm joined as always by my main man, Pots and Pants, Nick Bacone, the Philly Influencer, and Fox PHL, The Gambler, and we're back with another fantastic show for the first time in uh, quite a bit. <laughs> we took a little bit of a, a hiatus, because some, th- some important things is happening here in Philadelphia, like a little thing called the World Series. Uh, and even though it was one of the worst, watch, least watched World Series in recent memory, apparently, <laughs> I saw that story. Oh, uh, which is kind of wild. Houston and Philly are both big markets, but I don't think the people like the Astros. That's just my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't think people, I think people dislike the Astros, and that's why they didn't watch. But they're the world champs, nonetheless. Exactly. They're the world champs. But, uh, yeah, we were busy, especially, especially my boy Nick. Especially my boy <laughs> Nick. We're going to talk all about it. In a second, but yeah, on this particular show, though, we're not going to talk about in depth about the World Series. No. We're going to do-, do a deep dive because the next pay per view coming up on this WWE's calendar is Survivor Series, and you know how I felt about Survivor Series for a long time. Like they should just get rid of it because what's the point? But this year, Survivor Series got a little bit of spice to it because it's War Games. It's like yeah. Was that your William Regal impression? Yeah, that's my William Regal. Okay. Without trying to yell too much into the microphone. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) because of that, we're diving into one of the better War Games matches ever. And it took place in May of 1992 at WrestleWar in 1992. It is the War Games between Sting Squadron and the Dangerous Alliance. But that's the main event. We're going to talk about the entire show from... May of 1992, Wrestle War, 1992 from World Championship Wrestling. Of course, we did uh, Halloween Havoc 91 in our previous episode. Uh, but we're fast forwarding about what six months or so, seven months maybe, into the future in 1992 for WCW. So uh, things have changed since the last show we did uh, uh, from Halloween Havoc. We're going to talk about that as well. But before we get into it, I got to do my check in my man, man, pots and pans, Nick. How are you on this gloomy and dreary-ass Friday afternoon here in the Philadelphia area? Not only is it rainy out there, but it's warm as hell, and it's pissing me off. 
It's November 11th. Yeah. Come on, it needs to be like 40 degrees out there. And, right. uh, and on top of that, it's messing up my football playoff weekend, bro. My oh, flag football man. team trying to go make a deep playoff run, and it might not happen this weekend. Oh, man. Because the field is going to be a lake. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, we're going to get the remnants of uh, Nicole, right? Coming up yeah, here, which is, which I think, we We got it now. Got, yeah, it's right now, so. <laughs> and yeah. watching the, uh, the Panthers game last night, and it was raining the whole game down yeah. there. So it's going to be probably a lot of rainy games this weekend. I did not even partake in Thursday night football last night. But, uh, yeah, it's still recovering you. a little bit. I'm almost there from the Phillies World Series run. Um, it was a rough uh, when they were up two to one, you know, you're high, you're, you're, you're on this exactly. high, and uh, damn, they got no hit that's, right after that, and their offense just died. That's so. what I, I was telling my wife. I was like, it's it's not disappointing because obviously we were on the show before the season was over, and you were like in the dumps about oh, yeah. them potentially <laughs> I, not even I making was, the playoffs. Yeah, I, I mean, there was no reason to believe they would. They were on another September swoon, but uh, they made it. And they, they made did the it. most. They, they did make the most of it. I'll give them right. that. And they didn't lose a home game until the World Series. Right. So obviously, you take a step back and you can look at it from uh, more reasonable eyes, and you go, "Man, what a run!" Right. And there's something about Philly sports. It's always they gotta have. We gotta have a song attached to it. Like <laughs> the Eagles when we won the Super Bowl, it was dreams and nightmares. Yep. And. For Phillies fans, it was that damn walk <laughs> dancing on my own. <laughs> Just like, where did this song come from? And it's not even the original song; it's the remix. It's a cover mm-hmm. of that song. Uh, but it was all through the streets when when they won the National League and they kept it up throughout the World Series, obviously. But and I was telling my wife, I was like, man, it's kind of disappointing because it's like it's one thing. Obviously, everybody knows on paper the Astros were better than the Phillies, right? Uh, I don't think there's any secret about that. Yeah. yeah. But when you get up two one. And you got two more home games. You want to win at least one of those. They got no hit mm-hmm. <laughs> in the next game, and mm-hmm. then they lost the next one, and then they lost. They lost three in a row after that. So yeah. that was a little. That was a bitter pill to swallow, I think, for Phillies fans, because like like you said, that optimism was there, and like the rug got pulled out from under you. It's like honestly, you want to win. You want to have a respectable showing. And look, going six games with Houston, it's pretty respectable. No, no, let's not get it twisted. But when you're up to one, you're like, oh, this is it. And you got two more at home. It was like, we're trying to get this out in five. And they lost in six. <laughs> like, damn. <laughs> and they were in prime position to tie game five in the last inning. And the yeah. center fielder made, uh, which, oh, by the way, from Westchester, catch. by the way. That they, oh, broke everybody's <laughs> hearts, man. <laughs> that, you know, remarkable catch. And it's just like, Somebody yeah, said he can never buy a drink. In, like, he will, he will always have to buy a drink in Westchester after <laughs> 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 making that catch. Exactly. <laughs> he would never get a free yes. drink. That was an unbelievable. He's gonna catch, get a though. cover charge every single time he goes somewhere. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's gonna he have to, to Mc... go. He's gonna have to pay to just go shopping. He go to McDonald's. He get, you, know, you gotta pay to get in, bro. We full. We have capacity. We have capacity, bro. Like this is McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like six a.m. What are you talking about? We have capacity. <laughs> you gotta pay. Yeah, exactly. So, well, like once that catch was made, and you just kind of had that dreaded feeling. It was the final home game. Um, yeah, it's just. Yeah. It was and rough, they, man. And they played well rough. in game six. It was a tight one in game six. It's just yeah. like you said, the offense just kind of yeah. went away. And, and Rob Thompson made the moves that he did to get them there. So I understand going to Alvarado in the fifth inning against Alvarez. But, you know, that you also, that's what happens. Like Alvarez apparently hit lefties better than righties. So I didn't agree taking out uh, Wheeler there. But at the same time, you know, I don't. I'm, I'm not going to second guess those decisions the whole off season because, like you said, Game Six against the Astros in the World Series, you take that right. ten times out of ten. Um, 
Especially and they did have that they you know, were an eighty-seven win team and right. didn't have a home playoff game into the second <laughs> round. <laughs> like, right, you know, man, like, right. And it's funny, like you said, they they were weren't they didn't lose at home until you know the World Series, and of course that loss was the no hitter, so that stings. Ugh, but punch. <laughs> <laughs> and people are like, you know what? It's just a loss. And I was trying to, I'm trying, to, I was trying to be in that mindset. Like, listen, it's just a loss. Like the no hit doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things because. It's just one loss in the World Series, like exactly. whether they got ten hits or, or no hits. So um, they did come back. They fought hard in Game Five. It just didn't work out. Um, didn't have enough, man. They tried in Houston, but I mean, like Houston's a better team, and they just right. overcame it. And look, and, now you see, if you're a Phillies fan, you see, you know, what it takes now. What yeah, you need, and exactly. now this off season's gonna be very important because oh yeah, Gene Segura isn't coming back. All, right. All of a yep. sudden, we need a shortstop, and there's some pretty big name shortstops out there that we can afford, that the Phillies can afford. I should oh, say. Yeah. Oh yeah, they can afford maybe even uh, a pitcher or two in there. So maybe. we so, definitely got to make some moves, but um, you know, Bryce Harper's elbow that that that's a that's yeah, that's a, a thing. concern because he's getting um, surgery, right? He sh- he should be. I-, I think he's getting it checked on Monday. So yeah. um, if he does need surgery, I don't think he's going to miss the whole season. He could still DH uh, after his recovery because uh, he's not a pitcher. I know with a pitcher is more more like a year, a little less than a year now. Yeah. But you know, for That's- him, it w- he wouldn't miss like the whole season uh, next right. season. So it's just a matter of you know if he needs that surgery or not. Which I mean, if they didn't put him in a right field in the World Series, like I pretty sure he's gonna have the surgery because if his, right. he was able to throw he would have been out there on the field but but, but i mean i would assume he's a better field than castellanos is the assumption, yes right? yes that's but the castellanos thing. made plays in right he field. did he did that's Even, the funny he, part he didn't make any plays at the plate <laughs> <laughs> but he, he he saved a couple games in right he field. Did. so it's you know hey look it is what it is you know yeah, and listen, I think even in the Inquirer, there was a good piece today I retweeted of him just being very, he's very, Castellanos, that is, very self-aware that he didn't live up to the expectations. <laughs> and he and, at everything. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just, from, from a, from a, like, I'm like, why? You would think from a sports standpoint, like, they teach you not to swing at everything, even like middle, Little League, <laughs> but it's gotten him this far, so why not just swing at everything possible? I guess you, yeah. you miss all the hits you don't take. Like, <laughs> like, you miss all the swings you don't take. Right, right. I and guess he's like, I'm swinging. I don't care. The funny thing is, like, all, most of his swings just looked bad. You know, like, even <laughs> his, the contact was weak. Uh, and he, he, like, he couldn't just get it going. And he was very... You know, he, he kind of gotten a little streak, and then he got hurt. He hurt his oblique. So he missed like three weeks, came back in September for the stretch run, and just couldn't regain that. Uh, yeah, that's that, unfortunate. That, that thing that, you know, maybe he was coming out of it a little bit in like July and August, whenever it was, and it just, he never got out of it. So, but I mean, they didn't have anyone else they could plug in there. Um, you know, I, I think Rob Thompson was just like, I mean, Nick Castellanos would make a $20 million. Uh, I'm not going to bench him. We got to uh, play his ass. Yeah. And <laughs> we, listen. We he got him under contact to like 2026. We got to play We got to play him. Yeah, and you said his defensive you know, plays, they helped the Phillies. You know, his defense wasn't a detriment. Look, um, his, his defense helped beat the Braves on game one of that yeah, series. absolutely. Like that catch he made. And he made yeah. another one against the Astros. He did. <laughs> so it was like he made like the same as that catch, pretty much sliding in, yeah. coming on a ball that was shallow. Yep. Um, but – I want to get. To, I'm gonna shift the focus to you for a second, though, Nick, because we gotta talk about you. Because I think, <laughs> how does it feel to know that you are part of 
people's enjoyment of this run. Dude, I do you do you realize that? Like, let, let, I got let, let me let me let me let me let me give you your flowers real quick because you were posting these clips and the calls, and even though the announcers were like, "Damn, that's cool," like, but people would check your timeline after every. I know I would after every game, and you had the calls for the the home team, the visiting team, the Spanish calls, and I know people loved it because it's like that's part of the enjoyment. And even if you're not there, you get to watch these calls back. You get to hear the radio call because not everybody's listening to the radio one during a game. So it's nice to hear it after the fact, but yeah, I, I would I would say that you added to a lot of people's experience during this run. How does it feel it, to know that? It, I mean, it's very humbling. Um, I didn't know I was doing that, like, and during the course of just the playoffs, but like the whole season. Um, you know, I you know I've been doing this for a few years now. When I started blogging over 10 years ago, I know there were like posts out there crossing broad, you know, some of the Phillies blogs that would share the audio of the radio calls. Uh, And whoever was lucky enough to grab the audio at the time, you know, put it on Instagram at the time or just, uh, I don't think Twitter allowed videos or uh, like audio stuff yet. Um, So they would upload those clips to like SoundCloud and stuff like that. And, you know, blog posts would do like a bunch of hits uh they just had that call from like scott fransky or merrill reese so you know as i went through the years about 2015 2016 i I paid more attention to the radio and tried to get some big calls and the technology was not what it is now so it was a lot more difficult and if you missed a play like you can't just rewind it to go to go grab the audio so um it was you know very like it didn't make or break anything, but if I missed a call, I would like just hate it because I'd be like, "Damn, that was like an opportunity for a bunch of page views." <laughs> you know, if I could have gotten that call, uploaded it to SoundCloud, and then posted it, um, it got a little bit easier uh, the last few years uh, to grab the radio call, uh, so I because I could rewind it and just you know clip the audio and then get the video and just sync it together. And you know, I've been doing a, a couple at least three years uh the spanish and uh phillies radio calls and and eagles radio calls where maybe not like always the spanish ones but i try to always get you know merrill reese and scott fransky up there and just because i do because of the people loving it in 2015 getting all those page views you know people would like it you know like i i'm not i wasn't looking to get paid or anything i was like maybe this will help you know my career path because i i'm i'm doing like a skilled labor and Maybe someone would take notice and be like, hey, what else could you do? So kind of waiting for that, hopefully. Um, But, yeah, I didn't even think about the the whole season, this particular season. I was like, we need to get Scott Fransky to the playoffs because I just want to hear him in the playoffs. It's been way too long. And knowing that he was on a one-year deal, by the way, one-year extension, like it could possibly have been his last year with the Phillies. I mean, I sincerely hope not. I would hope – the Phillies would give him whatever he wanted. Um, I know he's from Texas, but, you know, like, Scott Fransky deserves to be able to do whatever he wants to do in his life, even if that's retire. But um, I haven't heard any rumblings yet, but I'm just hoping to God that he stays. Um, so that was part of it. You know, it's like getting his calls, especially, uh, the way his excitement is unmatched to a lot of, the radio calls and even the TV calls. It's just like 
something's different with Scott. And I remember in 2009, I was at the Jimmy Rollins walk-off in the NLCS Game 4, uh, got in the car on, on the way home. I'm listening to the WIP, and I listened to his call on the radio. It's like my favorite call ever. And he matched that like two or three times Look, this postseason. The bank is oh a legendary God, call. That, and it's a legendary moment. I mean, let's, let's really, that Bryce Hart. The only thing yes. could have topped it is if it happened in the World Series. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, Joe Davis had a great call on Fox, he, too. He, he swing did have a great call. Like, the swing like, of his life. My God. Is, like, it's true. It is. Like, the broadcasters like, did I mean, not watching disappoint. watching like, unreal. Yes. <laughs> he actually yeah. did that. That guy did that to win the game, pretty much. I mean, it was the bottom of the eighth, but... You, you know, at that point, it was over. It was one of the saddest days of my life because I lost my cat uh, earlier that oh, morning. Uh, she had a seizure that Saturday night. Uh, conveniently, after the Phillies game, I guess she was just waiting uh, for the Phillies game to be over. But I, you know, it was a seizure a lot different than what I've witnessed before, and I was dreading it a little bit. But took her to the ER, kept her overnight. Uh, called me in the morning. They're like, "Yeah, there's not much we can do." So. That morning, I went there, and you know, I had to do what I had to do, and it was a very sad, sad day for me. So, you know, I'm just watching the game and uh, see Harper come up. You know, they're down three two, and I'm just like, man, like, you know, like I had no reaction because all I did was get up and go to my computer because I'm like, I gotta get the Scott Fransky call because, like, I did the fist pump and all that, but it was just. Uh, very, very sad day for me that I couldn't get as emotionally invested as I would have been, you know, a few days prior. Um, but I was happy beyond hell that, you know, that happened. But my reaction was just, you know, get up, go to the computer, get the Fransky call. And I think my tweet was just uh, Harper, Fransky. You know, like a lot of, you know, when Reese Hoskins crushed that one uh, against the Braves, that homer, I, I remember kind of like, my tweet was in all caps, and I was just like, it's re- Scott I mean, Fransky with the insane call and stuff like that. You don't have to say much for the for that right, play, though. Exactly. I that mean, play like, kind of spoke for itself. You didn't have any. You didn't need any. I could have. I could even said like Bedlam at the bank in caps, right. but I was just like, nah, Harper Fransky, and that spoke for itself. And yeah, you didn't uh, say you didn't say much in that. Yeah, so that's a, that's a legendary moment. But not knowing like how much it meant to other people, you know, like I shout out to Dan Craig on Twitter because he. I think it was after game three when the Phillies hit five homers. Uh, and I was, you know, putting the, the calls up there. I think Tom McCarthy was even in there because he, during the playoffs, he got on the radio a little bit. And even he thanked me, which is pretty awesome. Um, Dan was like, yo, drop your Venmo. And I did. And just Philly Twitter was just. Real shit, though. I mean, real talk. It was... Drop that Venmo and have people pay for it. Dude, <laughs> like, I was, I was le- you provided a service. I was legit teared up, man. I, I was. I was like, yeah, why, why don't you buy me a cup of coffee or whatever? And I, was, I just started hearing my Venmo notifications go off. I mean, like, let's oh, go, shit. though. I had to silence my phone but because um, it wasn't the end of the game. Like, I was, you know, there was – I think they still hit, like, one or two homers after that. Um, so, and, the, you know, I got the Spanish calls in there. And then, you know, I got to wait a little bit to get the Astros calls. But, you know, it's worth it. It's, it's kind of worth the wait. So, um, you know, once they were available, I – you know, got their radio calls and synced them. And, you know, Twitter came after me a little bit uh, during the World Series, and I kind of expected that. So I'm not going to uh, – Was it Twitter? Like Twitter, Twitter? Or like yeah. – Okay, not like the fans, but like Elon Musk's Twitter, <laughs> which is what it is now. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I can expect – I'm not surprised by that. 
but you did provide a service to a lot of fans during this run. Yes. So um, that means something, man. I mean, I, I yeah. know. I mean, some companies may not want you to use the footage or the call, but for fans, though, they loved it. And you were providing something that other – look, the teams weren't doing it. Teams could do it. Right, I work right. for a team, and it's like, hey, we don't want them to do it. We should do it. <laughs> like, we got the footage. We got the call. I know exactly where the calls are in our server. <laughs> like, I can go find them. If I don't know where they are, I can ask somebody. They know where they are. I, and somebody can put the highlight together, and I can say – I could do that myself. <laughs> like, I don't even need somebody else to do that. So – yeah, I mean, there's one thing I understand, you know, networks and teams are like, oh, I don't know. But, like, y'all could do it. <laughs> like, it's not nothing stopping y'all. Nothing stopping the Phillies who owns the footage. Well, not, I don't know if they own the footage. I would assume MLB yeah, they, owns the footage. Yeah. But they own the call. Yeah. And they can use highlights, I would assume, I would hope. Because I know, you know, working for yeah, the NFL do team. It, uh, you know, they do it maybe, like, the next day. And I'm just like, yeah. you know, it's – they – I guess they don't want to get in trouble, and I don't know what kind of trouble they can get in. But um, for me, you know, it's just like I, I, as long I as I got like, the video and as long as I got the call, I'm going to post it. <laughs> I know, like for for the Eagles specifically, can't speak to the MLB and Phillies, but for the Eagles, we for highlights you can only use a certain number a week, like broadcast highlights. So, like on a game day, even our max was like it may be different now this season, but and they probably running up against this, but it's usually like eight per game day. That we can use video highlights on social, like when you see like the the team if they score a touchdown, they post a broadcast. Yeah, right. That's yeah. a highlight, but you gotta give the monetization to the league. There's all these little things mm. that's that's wild, but the league has to monetize because it's their footage, and you gotta uh, do the tune in with the you know oh watch the game on CBS or whatever, right? During the week, oh, I can't remember the exact amount. It was like f- four during the week, so you know you gotta space them out. You gotta pick and choose where you want to use them. And you don't want to, you know, upset the league if they have a social policy. Again, this is the NFL. Because if you break the social policy, they would be like, hey, you broke the social policy here. And it's like, <laughs> shut up and we'll fix it or whatever. Well, you broke the social policy. And then there are a lot of times where they would hit us up and be like, no, we actually did do this. Oh, our bad. Sorry. And, you know, so. Well, that that's part of, like, you know, I filed a counterclaim because the, I can read what the report says. And they said they took our social media clip that we provided. And I was like, well, I mean. That language is, is that language incorrect because I didn't take your social media clip. I took my own. Right. right. <laughs> you know, I also, didn't. I got the my own clip. Video function is a thing. So yes. <laughs> like, yes. So, so if if I really t- wanted to just take it, I could. If y'all posted it, that's what, <laughs> which is what I was doing for the inquiry. <laughs> right. Right. At least post a home run. Well, here we tweet video time. <laughs> like, yep. And that's not against the rules. Right. So, so like, I had my own clip. Credit. And I did my own sync. So, um, not like. You know, people were saying like, "Oh, like I live in Texas and I'm a huge Phillies fan, and I exactly I share your videos with my dad in California, providing a service, like, oh bro. My God, like there's I something to be said about that. I'm even, saying the impact. I already right. knew stuff like that was happening. I already, I, you don't even have to say it. I already knew that people from mm. Phillies fans from elsewhere, not just here, from yeah. elsewhere, were like, I need to see these. They even uh, they they'd be at the game and they would be like, I was here, so I didn't. Here's uh, the footage i took on my camera can you like put scott's call over top of that's wild. my footage so i did i would just do that and send them the video and like that's so they incredible they basically have that forever so uh not even thinking twice about it because i'm like it's like the technology has gotten so good that i could do it quickly it's not even like it's a hard labor that takes hours to do for me uh you know you asked me to do 
something I think <laughs> I even did uh, the Michael Bourne oh shit uh, MP3 oh, yeah. um, with Ted Cruz at the Astros parade when he got a beer thrown at him. Wow, <laughs> so I, didn't I didn't even see that. I didn't even I didn't even look out for the Astros parade. For one, who, I don't want to see Ted yeah. Cruz celebrating all yeah, happy. Agree, agree. And Houston all happy. Nah, that's, nobody but, cares. And yeah. rest in peace, take off. <laughs> How about that? Yes, <laughs> How about that? Yes, that was a shame. Yeah, so it's like, geez. oh, come on, man. But, but you know, it, it is what it is. But, but uh, I do appreciate everyone that you know did even reach out just to say, listen, man, like you don't realize, or not even say that, but like you helped me through some of the toughest times, just because Scott Fransky means that much to us as a fan base. Um, especially when there's no local announcers that you can turn on the TV. Like you, you have to sync it yourself. If you want to put the radio on, got to have a radio on and then pause the TV and to sync it up and stuff like that. Not everyone has the ability to do that right now. So, um, you know, 10, 15 minutes after something happens, if I can get that video up, people can see it rather than have to wait till after the game or wait till the next day. And, um, yeah, that's kind of what I, you know, envision just doing. I've I've done it all season. I've done it last season, the season before. I think 2019 was like the first year I was able to do it like throughout the season because uh, I finally figured out how I can do it like quickly and and be able to post it. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to next year. Hopefully Scott's here. I mean, whoever does the radio, like we have some great radio people in here. I even do it with the Sixers and the Flyers here and there, even though their TV announcers are so good. Yeah, um, especially when Mark Zuma. I mean, but, Kate Scott's dope. Don't be wrong. Kate yeah. Scott is great. Mark Zuma oh, is my like, all-time yeah, exactly. favorite announcer. Period. Exactly. I love Mark Zuma, and I knew that it was gonna be tough for her to replace him because he was so good. And also, Kate Scott's a woman, and people don't like women in sports <laughs> like a lot of times. Yeah. But no, Kate Scott's really good at what she does. So, you know, hopefully that dies down. But uh, Mark Zuma calls though, man. Yeah, and, and it's different because you know, especially basketball, or hockey, like. They're more local. You see them local a lot. Uh, obviously, baseball too. But um, when you have someone like Scott Fransky, like you know, it's just uh, you gotta be, you gotta like listen to him. Uh, Merrill Reese, obviously, with the Eagles. You know, they're all football games are national games, so you don't have like a local call except the radio call. So that's true. That's true. Yeah, I didn't know Mike and Merrill were the longest tenured radio guys in the league. Yeah, right? I did not know that. Which what is like wow, twenty plus years. Obviously, Merrill Reed's been around since the 70s, but I didn't know him and Mike together since, since the damn near, since the 90s or something like that. So, how about that? Shout out to Mike. I like Mike Quick, though, bro. I don't know if I told you. I always call, I don't cool. call anybody Mr. Anything for whatever reason. I always call Mike Quick Mr. Quick. Maybe because it's an easy thing to say. <laughs> Shout out to Mike Quick, man. He's a good dude. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Philly sports, man. It's a crazy time. <laughs> and it is. Just so Philly, man. To lose the World Series and the MLS Cup on the same damn day. <laughs> like, yeah. how, man? Yeah, oh, that, I'm I'm glad. Not, I don't even want to get into the union because I've done the union radio oh, calls too because I have man. access that to, to that because the gambler, distressing. but. Dude. To give it up was that brutal. goal in extra time, bro, when you got a man advantage, just, just, just strike me through the heart right now. Yeah, that was uh, down, down, like up a man. Or up a other. man. Oh, with, yeah. like, with like nine, like five minutes left in extra time, you can't do it. And as soon as went to penalties, I'm like, they're done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, because no way. like everyone's like Andre Blake's the best goalkeeper, so that of course that he, means he's he gonna is. lose. And PK, he is, and he, he is. absolutely is, and that of course they're gonna lose that. Uh, yeah, especially after that he made the first save, I was like, okay, right. like maybe we're getting somewhere here. And then the Union never... kicker, right, 
over top of the net. I was like, oh yeah, this isn't good. <laughs> Man, that's a heartbreaker. I'm glad I was out. I was actually out Saturday night. I didn't. Oh, I couldn't man. sit at home and watch Game Six of the World Series. I just I had to be out around people. And look, I was around a bunch of Phillies fans too. I not like intentionally. It just that's how it happened. Obviously, it's Game Six of the World Series. And I'm pretty sure I left before the game was over, and we went back to a homie spot and just hung out. But like, yeah, I had I couldn't do it not for games. Not after watching the Union lose too, bro. I was like, oh, it's too much. This too much, bro. It's too much in my heart. <laughs> I can't see my city go through this to this extent, man. At least we got the Eagles, though, boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They know. They who have they beaten? Uh, just every other team that some good teams have lost to. That's all, including the Vikings, who are like seven and one, <laughs> right? Like, they blew them out on national television, but uh, everybody forgot about that. Everyone's just like, oh, Kirk Cousins in primetime. It's like, that's not how it works, man. <laughs> that's that's literally not how it works. <laughs> is he good or not? It's like Kirk Cousins <laughs> in primetime is all of a sudden Shane Falco in the Sugar Bowl from the replacements. <laughs> no. It's not like he just turns into a different person. He's still a good player. <laughs> they still got Justin Jefferson. And they got TJ Hawkinson now. They got a good team. And they beat the pants off of him in week two. So, I don't know. Yeah. But time marches on. And we'll see the Phillies in, the, in February. Pitches and catches report, man. Back at it again. But time for us to move on as well to some wrestling for our deep dive. You ready to do this? Let's do it. I got no clips because I didn't feel like anything was clip worthy. So if you think anything was clip worthy, let me know and I'll go back and add it. Because <laughs> I was like, I mean, this is one of the, for me one of the most boring shows I've ever seen. But we'll get into it. Um. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> there were some points. I will say I did a lot of research into, you know, Mr. Hughes and his Kansas State career. <laughs> that doesn't say a lot about this show. It wasn't necessarily a bad show. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't necessarily a bad show. It just wasn't that exciting. Um, but the main event made up for it. I will say that. And we're, mm. we're going to get all into it. Yeah. But, yeah, you ready to do this? Let's do it. All right. Wrestle War took place May 17, 1992. It is a fourth and final Wrestle War. I believe they started Fall Brawl, or no, it would have been uh, the pay per view after this that had to replace Wrestle War. Yeah, Fall Brawl's first year was 93. So that okay, was. I assume that was in the fall. Yes. That was the, yeah. first, that was the, the debut of the Shockmaster. Wow. Was it Fall Brawl yeah, 93? This, this was the, the last War Games before the Shockmaster. Oh my god! <laughs> this show's gonna be known for the last war game before the Shockmaster showed up. But this show took place in the Jacksonville Memorial Coliseum in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, the building, as it was in 1992, is no more. It was oh, no. demolished in 2003 and replaced with a new arena that is now known as the Jacksonville Veterans Memorial Arena, not the Memorial oh. Coliseum. Uh, it is now known as the ViStar Veterans Memorial Arena. So this had multiple names. It is the home of the Jacksonville Sharks of the National Arena League, <laughs> formerly of the Arena oh, Football League. Jeez. Uh, they, they were the team that when I worked for the Soul, we beat the Sharks in the conference championship, beat the daylights out of them in the conference <laughs> championship. It was like 80 to 40. It was bad, Yikes. bro. People Yikes. was catching onside kicks and taking them to the house. It was real. <laughs> it was ugly. It was a great night. And then we went out after to, because I probably told the story before, but uh, part owner of the soul was uh, I believe Pete from Chickies and Pete's mm-hmm. uh, Pete Churchy yeah. I believe this is how you say his last name if I said it wrong I, I apologize but uh, good guy by the way 
Uh, but he will always, they will always open up Chickies and Pete's after, no matter win or lose, we would, everybody, the whole organization, players, coaches would go to Chickies and Pete's and we get the back room in the South Philly location. So if you're familiar with uh, the Broad and Packer, not Broad, yeah, Broad and Packer location of yeah. Chickies and Pete's, there's just like this back room all the way in the back that you can rent out or whatever. So we would always have that room and it'd be, everything's on the house. And it was great. As a 21 year old, mm-hmm. I was just double fist and vodka Red Bulls like it was nobody's business. Like I knew what I was doing. I don't, I wouldn't touch a vodka Red Bull today. But when I was twenty one. <laughs> vodka Red Bulls to the face. All right. And the, when we won the conference championship and beat the Sharks, they opened up the play two side for us. See. Oh yeah. So we had the whole thing popping, and and there was a whole bunch of people in there. And I remember we was dancing, and it was like crazy. And then a fight broke out. Oh, <laughs> nice. And there was players involved in this fight. I mean, one player had like a gash in his hand. I'm just like, what in the hell is going on here? And uh, yeah, and then we played the the Arena Bowl a week or two later, or whatever it was, and got smoked. But <laughs> oh no, by the Arizona Rattlers, not the Jacksonville uh, Sharks. But we beat the Jacksonville Sharks, though. Damn it, that's all that matters. So that's right. Um, but the original building, though, of the this Jacksonville Memorial Coliseum, has hosted a bunch of big names in for music. I don't know if you've known this, but. Nope. We're talking about <laughs> we're talking about Elvis. Oh. Bob Dylan. I know him. Right. Jimi Hendrix, Frank nice. Sinatra, Led Zeppelin, Bruce Springsteen, Rush, like massive names. How about so but on this night, there were exactly on the nose six thousand people in attendance, <laughs> according to good old Wikipedia. Uh but you know, here we are. It's May of ninety two, and we are th- five months after the resignation. Of Jim Hurd, because <laughs> in January 1992, he left after Ric Flair left WCW and took the big gold belt with him mm. to WWF, and that was the pretty much the the beginning of the end of Jim Hurd, right? Uh, by this point, we're in the Kip Fry era uh, of WCW, so pre Eric Bischoff, even though he's on the show, and we'll talk about oh. it. <laughs> Uh, the product, again, I would say that the product wasn't bad. Like, the show wasn't bad overall, but you can tell that Jim Hurd's tenure definitely set WCW back a couple of years. Because <laughs> it's still, like, climbing out of that hole. And they really didn't really climb out until Hogan showed up in 94. And that's when they be- started to climb out. It wasn't even, like, obviously the NWO hit. That was, like, all right, we blew the, they blew all the right. roof off. But, like... You look at these buildings and the production, the, just production wasn't there at this point. Even by 92 standards, it wasn't that good, you know. But we got a war games in the show, and that's what we start off the show with, with this video package hyping up this match, which I thought, for early 90s WCW standards, was pretty good. Do you recall the, this opening video package? I mean, it was definitely 90s. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. But, I mean, it, I guess it could have been worse. For this era specifically, I mean, we saw I, the Halloween I, Havoc '91. Yeah, that was that, trash. that was pretty bad. I will say they should have never. I like the Wrestle War name. I thought that was actually one of the better names of pay per views that we've covered on I this agree. podcast. I I don't I, Fall Brawl is not bad, um, but when, Wrestle when they could have kept Wrestle War as it's not like, like the oh war we want to get away from war. They did World War Three. Which right. to me is not even that good of a name. I'd rather have Wrestle War because World War Three is always wait. A minute, when when is World War Four? <laughs> like <laughs> exactly. You just call it and, World War Three every year. Yeah, and I don't. That wasn't even uh, that came up. What ninety five was the first World War Three. Yeah. So, uh, and 
this specifically one world war three two world war three three like what are we doing and it's funny because war games what this russell war wasn't even a set month like it was may a couple times then it was february a couple times like there was no like the calendar just went back and forth it seemed like for wcw in this era so russell war this particular year it was in may 1992 but um it wasn't always in may so if when they, when they moved it to September, at least, I was like, all right, like, you could count on War Games being in September every year uh, until, obviously, WWF bought WCW, but... And that's that. Yeah. I don't even think they had a War Games the last, like, Fall Brawl. It was, like, on Nitro or something, so it was bad. Oh, War Games on Nitro? Good Lord. Yeah. I think that's when Vince Russo won the title. I don't, oh, I don't know if that was the war, uh, technically a War Games match. It might have been, but off the top of my head. Triple Cage or something? Yeah, it was stupid. It was real bad. Real bad. But Like this staple of WCW back then for me, when I didn't watch it, like before the NWO as much, was the double ring, double cage. I always thought that was a great spectacle. And I, that was one of the things I loved the most about uh, just watching highlights of WCW back then. Uh, so, I mean, I was always a mark for this type of match. So, uh I don't think we're going to see the same cage, you know, Survivor Series coming up. Uh, I hope, still I mean, They're still going to have, like, the opening at the top. Yeah. But I, I mean, do, look, I love the fact that it's enclosed. It just seems, I don't know, like. When you have guys who jump different. off the top rope as much as they do today, you yeah. got to take the top off. Yeah. I understand, yeah. like, what, like, tradition is the top is on and it's mm-hmm. pretty low. But when you saw, like, they were doing, like, atomic drops and people was getting their head hit on the ceiling of this <laughs> yeah. cage. You know, it's yeah. not even like a crazy spot by these t- by today's standards, but it, it's like bonk bonk off the top of the cage. <laughs> like, so take the top off and make it a little yeah. taller so you can get those high spots in. Yeah. Um. But I will. I will. We'll talk about. We'll break down mm-hmm. even like blo- compare blood and guts to this too, because of course oh, that's yeah. war games as well. They just can't use the name war games. <laughs> um. But kind of compare contrast what why th- in my opinion this particular war games works compared to the more modern ones. And we'll we'll talk about that a little later, but we begin the show with the usual pop and circumstance. We got pyrotechnics, and we got Tony Schiavone alongside Eric Bischoff, who they're not on the car. They're not technically calling the show. Those duties are with Jim Ross and Jesse of the Body Ventura. However, they're like hosts, which I was like, huh, I like this. Uh, I wish I know WWE has like the pre-show panels, but they don't start the broadcast with them. They just have their own show, and then when you start the show itself, it's with whoever's calling it, Michael Cole and Corey Graves or whoever. Um, but I liked this element of the broadcast with Tony Schiavone and Eric Bischoff, and they're talking about uh, Sting coming back from injury. He had injured ribs. You know, he's coming back for the War Games. And then they show it, they send it down to, again to Jesse Ventura and Jim Ross. And I thought to myself, what a great pairing this is. As far as announcers, I, I haven't watched a ton of WCW from this era, so forgive me if I don't really vividly recall these two together a lot, but this is a great pairing, though. Like, I'm here for Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura. I think they're both great individually, so why wouldn't they be great together? I agree, and Jim Ross was always, like, he, he never really changed until, I guess, the Attitude Era, really, where um, he didn't change that much, I should say, but, you know, here he's talking about their legitimate athletic backgrounds, certain wrestlers, and Jesse Ventura is given credit to not only the baby faces, or not only the heels, but also the baby faces kind of like, uh, I don't want to, not, not, 
what's the word? Not haphazardly, but like half-ass. But he, he like he doesn't want to say too many good things about the good guys, but like he'll acknowledge it. And you never really had like Bobby the Heenan was so good at what he did, but you still never had that really in WWF. Like unless they wanted you to hammer home some some talents, you know, certain thing, and Bobby Heenan would. Uh, you know, backhand compliment them in a way, but it didn't happen as often, I, I think, as Jesse Ventura, especially in WCW. I think, uh, you know, like, they were a pretty good pairing, and I'm kind of... They were... Like, he was around when I, I watched it here and there, but I just... I don't know, man. I don't know why they got... I guess... I don't know why they didn't keep Jesse around, honestly. Maybe he wanted to go, but I, I thought he was good for the WCW product at this time. I think so, too. I mean... Especially when you're coming out of the silliness of like the ding dongs and the WCW Phantom, and which is Rick Rude, but like still, oh, like, yeah. uh, was Black Scorpion around this time too? With uh, with Flair, was that this I time? Or was that another time? Like 90 or 91, something like okay. that. Okay, that's still yeah. Jim Hurt. Yeah, uh, you got the humpbacks, you got you know, all the stupid stuff <laughs> that they were doing on this television show. Uh, with the with, uh, what's that, PM News? Hurt. <laughs> oh, yo, baby, yo, baby, yo, yo, baby, yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. yo. Come I on cl- now, I clipped that. <laughs> no, that was me saying it. <laughs> yeah, you were, <laughs> you were saying you. it on top of the clip. <laughs> I was dancing a little bit too. Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I literally did that like the last time we stopped recording. I was like, that I got to get that right away. It's so. <laughs> so bad, but <laughs> here we are. They're climbing out of it, and we start off this show. With a good old fashioned WCW United States Tag Team Championship match. Yeah. We got Greg the Hammer Valentine and a Taylor Made Man. Terry Taylor. <laughs> Terrence no. Taylor. Whatever you want to call him. The Taylor Made Man. It's just even, Taylor Made Man. That I don't was think they name. even referred to him as Terry Taylor, which cracks me up. Taylor Made Man, who came out in a full fledged tux for his entrance. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> you look so stupid. <laughs> like, it looks so dumb with that red tux. Uh, they're going against, they're defending their titles. Against the fabulous Freebirds, Jimmy mm. Jam Garvin and Michael P.S. Hayes, which is like you see Michael Hayes in this element, which is like you look, we know we, we acknowledge the fact that Michael Hayes is, is is a legend in the industry, and he's I think he still works with WWE behind the scenes. But why in the hell was Michael Hayes ever considered sexy? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> like he is prancing around the ring and throwing the hair back, like he was. God's gift to women. It's like, why? <laughs> why was that ever the case? I don't understand that. <laughs> what were we doing in the 80s and 90s? I don't understand, man. But Michael Hayes, what a character and what a weirdo at the same time. Uh, one thing I observed, though, was Bill Alfonso the referee in this match? He was. Okay. He I was. figured that was him. It's so funny because I, I remember him only from WWF, so I didn't even realize he was an WCW ref. And then, I don't think I remember that neither. I remember him in WWF and obviously ECW, yeah, but I don't right. remember him in WCW. You're right. I guess they gave him more money to switch over. I guess. I guess. Uh, but yeah, this was a match. I mean, Michael Hayes went for a DDT. <laughs> Terry Taylor, a Taylor-made man, hit him with a five-arm. They call it the five-arm, not the four-arm. Uh, but Michael Hayes kicks out. <laughs> uh, Garvin hits Terry Taylor with a DDT, while Michael Hayes prevented Valentine from breaking it up allowing the Freebirds to pin Terry Taylor and win the U.S. Tag Team titles. Uh, I don't, you have any thoughts from this match at all? No, I don't really have a couple. Much. It, was a ta- uh, it was a match. <laughs> it was a good match. A couple. First of all, 
people think WWE and AEW have too many titles now. Like it's obviously WWE back then. Had. They they included the NWA and then they made like these United States tag team titles. Like what is going on here? It's kind of ridiculous in a little bit. In the eighties, it made perfect sense when you had all these territories yeah. and you know and whatnot. And but they're still even back then they had to, they would defend. I remember was it Starcade? They had like a Southern States title, U.S. tag title. They had the national Jeez. tag title. Remember the national tag titles yeah. at the same time? It's like what yeah. is this? And even later on in this show, you have the Steiner brothers wrestling for the number one contendership of the IWGP tag team titles when they are the actual WCW World Tag Team Champions. Right, so they're trying to win all the titles. It, it's just like so weird that, it, you know, if I was WCW only fan back then and I was watching them over WWF all the time, I would, I don't know, like, if I would have been confused by all the titles or not, but. I was like watching it back. I'm like, damn. Like maybe uh, Tony Khan, being the wrestling fan he was growing up, man, man he nah. just wants to be no introduced title after title after title. I'm not after buying title. it. It's just like kind of crazy. Not buying it. We don't need a trios title. Sorry, elite. We don't need a Mid Atlantic. All like all, all Atlantic. Yeah, no, right? Mid Atlantic. Because at least that's a thing. Like all Atlantic. What the hell is that? We don't need that title neither. <laughs> and right. Greg Valentine, by the way, it's May 1992. Here he was. In the WWF Royal Rumble this year, oh, he in, in was. Yeah. He definitely was. Yeah. So isn't that kind of crazy? <laughs> like within four months, he's a U.S. Tag Team Champ at WCW. He must have like just left right after the Rumble. Yeah, something. something. Right. Because that was funny. I remember seeing him in the '92 Rumble with all those. He was Hall for sure names. in there. Yeah. So I, I mean, like I think about like what WWF was like at the time. You know, the Ultimate Warrior came back, and it was Randy Savage was champion. It was right after WrestleMania eight. So like I'm thinking back then to like how immersed I was in WWF week to week. Especially Superstars was their only like big show and wrestling challenge. Randy Savage, and then you know with Ultimate Warrior, they were kind of building towards SummerSlam. And then watching this, I was like, man, the production from WWF, how they made it shows week to week versus like wcw there's a reason why like i just never got into wcw i just didn't think the production and the the color of the ring ropes and stuff i was like why wouldn't they be red white and blue like it makes no sense to have a wrestling ring without red white and blue ropes like that's how you know brainwashed i was with the wwf back then i just didn't like anything about the look uh, or production of wcw until yeah you know 95 96 Right, when they started to brighten up the joint, when yeah. they got Hogan, pretty much. Yeah. I don't remember. I mean, no, I would say it got. The black ropes were better look on TV. I'm trying to me, think. So. I'm trying to remember 93 WCW, and I think it did improve. Because I think by 93, Bischoff had taken over. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. And he started to brighten up the place a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, you're, no, you're right. The production just, even by 92 standards, just wasn't on par with what you were seeing in WWF, which is no surprise. And it wasn't like WWF is like killing it in 92 they were doing well but right, like by 93 94 it was going down a little bit but they still at least had that they just looked better it just yeah like wrestlemania more... was in the hoosier dome so i mean automatically right. that made it look better and then you had SummerSlam at wembley stadium like, like come on geez. right and then you got the war games in jacksonville memorial coliseum <laughs> in front of six thousand people meanwhile they did SummerSlam right. in london right. in front of eighty thousand. like legitimately eighty thousand people were there so yeah it, it definitely and that's Jim Hurt, man. He set them <laughs> back, bro. He made them look minor league for multiple years, unfortunately. But they signed some talent like Steve Austin and, mm. you know, got Dustin Rhodes to start and all these guys that, like, eventually became stars. But, like, you know, Rick Rude came in and was the guy. But, like, <laughs> yeah, 
it was it was tough yeah. a little bit there as far as production. And it's crazy because this is when the Dangerous Alliance was doing a thing, and the Dangerous Alliance right. was dope. Or like I think they're underrated. If anything, when you look at the the lineup they had just in this War Games, when you got Steve Austin, uh, Rick Rude, Larry Zbysko, Bobby Eaton, and uh, who else is in there? Arn right. Anderson. Yeah. Good lord, you talk about the some of the best in ring performers ever. <laughs> just just re- like they're your wrestlers' favorite wrestlers. All those guys. <laughs> Everybody love you. Look, yes, a wrestler who love Arn Anderson. They all do. They all raise their hands. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Bobby Eaton, the best. They they love Bobby Eaton. We love Bobby Eaton. The yeah. Alabama Jam, tremendous move. But it was post or during and in post Jim Hurd, and it's like, ugh, who wants to go back and watch that? <laughs> <laughs> and not to mention Medusa, yeah. great, and of course Paulie yeah. Dangerously. So I don't see a, a I don't see a weakness in the group, but. Jim Hurd will create some weaknesses, boy. I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, back to this opening match, though. I would say the Freebirds, in hindsight, kind of goofy. Like, they look stupid oh, yeah. out there, honestly. Oh, yeah. The leather jackets, the song, <laughs> the way they dance. They look stupid in hindsight. <laughs> but at the time, they were mad over, bro. People liked the Freebirds. I, you know, I wasn't around. I was three. So, but <laughs> I don't know. I, don't, I didn't get it back then. But, like, I... I I see it. It's like, yeah, I mean, I can't hate on it. Like, the people like them. Tight, man. They look, look goofy as all hell today. They came out looking <laughs> the way they look today. Like, any a new tag team coming out looking like the Freebirds, we would laugh <laughs> them off the bu- out the building. Who are these guys? The Freebirds are free birds. Get it? No, I don't get it. No. Well, they're just like <laughs> free spirits, you know what I mean? Oh, okay. <laughs> I got you. That's why they call them Freebirds. Like, I, I couldn't even tell whether they were heels or baby faces, but I'm assuming they were baby faces because Terry Taylor Sound and Ray like Valentine it. are never baby faces. But, right. you know, it, it, I don't know if they did, like, a lot of turns back then. I just remember they I had, you know, those WCW trading cards. I had some, some guys, and I had the Freebirds, and I just, I, I don't know. Like, they were good one time. I watched WCW, and then they were bad. The, the other time, I just... It's a very. I, I can't go back and watch it week to week because I, I I just don't have the time. But if I could, I, I would understand. I guess what the hell they were supposed to be, and <laughs> maybe they were just supposed to be free birds. They weren't heels or faces, but they were, they were definitely. Uh, when we watched Hollywood Havoc last time. They they had the all the Atlanta Braves garb on, so they were definitely playing to the crowd for that one. Even though they were in Tennessee, but still like. A lot of Braves fans in that area, but um, oh, yeah, yeah. Just, they, I mean, they were, the crowd loved them, so I'm assuming they were still like faces around this time. It was only what six months, seven months later. So they were pretty much '80s rockers in the early '90s, and people yeah. still liked it. People were still kind of rocking with that vibe. But it, if Michael Hayes never got hurt, it was, still wasn't going to last much longer. Right, it right. just, it just, it would have been you'd have to go into the grunge look. You know, of the mid '90s, eventually, because uh, that '80s look—it just—it just faded out, man. And some Doc Hendricks. Look, <laughs> I'd rather see Michael Hayes in the ring yeah. than Doc Hendricks. It's honestly, funny as hell—they've uploaded new Superstars episodes on Peacock, and they're from like early '96, and that's when they started with like the Slam Jam, late '95, early '96. Like they had Doc and the Slam Jam during these episodes of Raw and Superstars, and it just cracks me up. How like he's such a hype man, and you could tell like that's all he wanted voice. to do. He like he didn't want to wrestle anymore. He just wanted to be Vince's hype man. 
He just wanted to be a radio DJ. Hey, everybody, here we are. Doc Hendricks here back on Superstars. Eh? That's pretty much how he talks. It is. Every he single like time. like a radio, like a 80s, 90s radio DJ. Hey, everybody, welcome yep. back here on the show. And they just play sound effects in the background randomly. Yep. Uh, after that match, though, we go to Tony Schiavone and Eric Bischoff for an analysis on the previous match, which, again, I kind of like that setup. I like people kind of like adding or lending some perspective to what we just watched instead okay. of just like moving right along to the next thing like right. you see today. Like, oh, wow, that massive heel turn just happened. But later on, <laughs> we're going to hear from Bray Wyatt. <laughs> like, uh, Okay. We just don't let, not, not let that sink in um, because that's what happens in normal sports broadcasts. They, they have analysis. They have people talking and, like, you know, lending perspective to what we just saw. So I don't mind that. Uh, but moving on, we got the next match. It is just a just a singles match. We got Young Pistol, Tracy Smothers. Ooh. Young Pistol sounds like a rat name. <laughs> you know, Young Pistol coming through. <laughs> Go ahead and with some bars, Young Pistol. Freddie Joe, Young Pistol, Freddie Joe Floyd. No, 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 that's not the that's not the rap name. Young Pistol, Tracy Smothers is <laughs> the name. He's going against Johnny B. Bad. Um, they really WWF really named him Freddie Joe Floyd. That cracks me up. Man. That's, <laughs> but Vince McMahon is a genius. Yeah. Okay. Let's come on. Yeah. Yeah. So but Freddie Joe Floyd made them a ton of money. Did he? I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we get to Johnny B. Bad's entrance, though. And here comes Jesse Ventura talking about that Johnny B. Bad may enjoy being called a bridesmaid. <laughs> oh, Jess. Take it easy, well, Braun Strowman. The thing Strowman. I don't like about him, you know, especially from this era, it was him, Heenan. You know, I've been watching, like, those Superstars episodes. So, like, when they talk about gold dust, you know, and, and all that, I... I could do right. without all that. At but. least it was from 30 years ago. We're not talking about Braun Strowman, right. which he said, he said the dumb stuff like a week uh, ago. Yeah. yeah. What a goof Braun Strowman is. Sometimes. What did he do? Wait, recently? He's, he, he, him and Omas had a match at oh, yeah. uh, Crown Jewel. Yeah. And it was, I didn't watch the show. I was extremely busy all day Saturday. Yeah. Uh, again, that was the day the Phillies lost, Game the six, Union yeah. lost. I played yeah. flag football. It was, it was, oh, I was running everywhere. It's rough. Rough day. So. And college football was on his lot going on. <laughs> they have a good match, apparently. People are praising it. And then he goes out and says, you know. And he starts making fun of, like, people who, wrestlers who do, like, you know, aerial moves. Flippy floppy guys. Oh, we don't need the flippy floppy stuff. It's like, bro, the people in your locker room do that stuff. Also, just be happy you had a good match. Why do you have to clown everybody else? Or try to clown everybody else. Like, Strowman, you would think Strowman was out here killing it when he was outside of WWE. The way he talked, like the reason why we're checking for you now is because you're in WWE. <laughs> like, you, uh, we weren't checking for you when you was outside of WWE, and you were trying to control your narrative, <laughs> and that didn't work out. And then you got the call from Papa H, and you went right back running WWE because yeah. that's where you make your living. And just be appreciative that you have an opportunity to apply your trade in front of thousands and people in person and millions of people at home because not that long ago you couldn't do that <laughs> they sent your ass home and now you come back and now you're just like oh yeah i'm back baby i'm nice <laughs> i'm the nicest out like, bro, chill oh, out bro brother. 
Yeah, like you went to New Japan and it was like killing it. You know, like you went to AEW and was killing it. You didn't do none of that. You tried to control the narrative and it didn't work. And you was like, yo, you know what? I'm going to go and get this money real quick. Head on back up to Connecticut. (laughs) Jeez, I didn't even hear that. But now I feel bad for, uh, you know, taking a shot at Jeff Jarrett because he took shots at Triple H and Braun Strowman. I was like, "Ah, you know what? (laughs) No, I don't need that. I don't know about Triple H, uh, but Braun Strowman deserved it. Yeah. He looks silly, bro. Like, come on, you yeah. and you're talented. Just do your thing, bro. You don't have to. You know how to hype yourself up without tearing down. Like, he's others. not going to be the champion. Like, he's like, what's he? I don't understand. He's not going to be the champion and, anymore. They, nor they should he. Even, so even about that, just be great. He's not going to be the do. face of the WWE. So, like, not. Maybe he also, feels vindicated for some reason, but what? he doesn't need to. <laughs> like, but like, also, but like, at some point, you gotta look at yourself and be like, "Yo, you got fired." Okay, that <laughs> sucks. That sucks at any because he probably didn't deserve to get fired. I don't think he. I was shocked when he got fired, but when you left, you didn't do like what Drew McIntyre did and just completely right. transform yourself and then reinvent yourself and come back better. You were pretty much the same guy except mm-hmm. now you're wearing skinny jeans. <laughs> All right. And the fans like you, but, like, it's a different time, bro. You got to – I don't know, man. It's just – I don't I don't understand what he – or it's not even, like, an arrogance. It feels like insecurity that he just had to tear people down. Yeah, it's it – Instead of just popping yourself. You and Omasa went up there and yeah. killed it, apparently. And that's not easy for – you know, that's not easy. Not everybody can go out there and have big, good big man matches. Braun went and said that stupid shit, and Omas went to visit his family in Nigeria. <laughs> Right. For the first like, time in 14 years. Like a good family man that he is. Good, like, humble guy. He went who back who to even folks. won that match? I didn't watch it. I don't know. Braun Strowman won. Oh. My assumption is that he won. Can't have a good guy. But like Omos, who gives so a damn, he's... honestly? Like, <laughs> like, come on, bro. Just just go out to do your thing, bro. Omos Be a, is a wholesome you would think dude. he would have like appreciation for the spot that he's in after not right. having it and then not really setting the world on fire outside of WWE. And he's only back because. Vince isn't there. Exactly. <laughs> Triple H hired him back. So it's not like, again, it's not like that too, that Vince went out of his way to get him back. Oh, I made a grave mistake here. Let me get him back. No, Triple H like, look, man, I don't think we should have fired you to begin with. You're a big freak of nature. I want you on the roster. So I'm going to bring you back. But that's it. <laughs> like, So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Johnny B. Bad. Back to Johnny B. Bad. He's not a heel at this point. Uh, he is just a baby face that Jonathan, Jesse Ventura, I should say, is trying to clown and say that he, Jesse Ventura said that Johnny B. Bad is the only guy in the world that had Little Richard as a hero. However, I shall counter to say, if you are in the music business, Little Richard should be one of your heroes. <laughs> okay? And I'm sure he was to a lot of people. A lot of people. But then JR, good old JR, man, coming through, point, rightly points out. Yeah, hey, Jesse, didn't you wear boa of feathers around your neck at one point? <laughs> Not to mention, you was doing this in the 80s when the androgynous stuff, that was heavy in the 80s. And still a thing in the early 90s. And you was a part of that. <laughs> like, you was doing that. <laughs> and also, you were in pro wrestling, where men regularly wear spandex and tassels and oils their bodies up. But no. Johnny be bad. He comes out. He's making all the real men look bad because he got a little eye makeup on. <laughs> like, okay, you mean like every rocker in the nineteen eighties when he right, wearing yeah. eye makeup, yeah, right, and had the big hair, wearing more makeup than the women. Don't do this. Don't do this. 
<laughs> like, if there's a word that you can use to describe Jesse Ventura as a wrestler, it would have been flamboyant. Because yep. he had the feathers, he had the outfits, he had the earring and the shades. He just didn't wear eyeliner, so. And then Ventura went ahead and admitted, was like, yeah, I had my hair multiple colors before. <laughs> and had a whole bunch of earrings. <laughs> like little dangly ones. <laughs> Meanwhile, Johnny B. Bad, JR. <laughs> Johnny B. Bad is literally letting women put money into his gear like he's oh, a stripper, man. stripper. Like he out here stripping I, for dollar bills, bro. Was it even women, though? Like, I, <laughs> I thought was it was like a though. girl. I was like, what no. the hell? Well, hopefully it was, she was 18 years old. <laughs> That's what I was, yeah. I was um, like, oh. Hopefully she was of the age of consent. I hope uh, so. But that was wild. I've never yeah. seen that. In yeah. Somebody pulled his L- like knee pad out and put money in it. Like, oh, he is scripper, scripper. He's like, I'm getting paid, paid. Bro, right. did he split that up in the back or he just <laughs> take that for himself? Because he's out here shaking ass for dollar bills. He's like, I'm getting my money, but I'm going to get a little extra on the side, too. I got to work with what I got. <laughs> I got. I'm trying to get. I'm trying to go to school, maybe or something like that. He's an entrepreneur, <laughs> right? He's about his business, man. Every a lot of wrestlers should be watching, taking notes. Like you know, I'm, I'm gonna try that too. Shout out to him, by the way. He's a motivational speaker now. Yeah. So <laughs> I wonder if it was wild that people that know that don't know who he he was a wrestler, <laughs> right. and then they like watch him also stumble upon Johnny B. Bad, <laughs> and they're like, "Oh hey, my like god, Mark. I just saw him." That looks like Mark. <laughs> Is that Mr. Merrow? <laughs> Mr. Merrow. Oh my God, he's out here getting dollar bills in his gear. <laughs> like you was out here being nasty. It's so funny. Uh, also, Ventura was upset about with Johnny B. Bad was that he used he would his finish was a punch to the face because he's a Golden Gloves boxer. So you get punched mm-hmm. in the face by him, lights out. Uh, but he Jesse Ventura was mad though because it's a closed fist, right? Which are, were illegal in wrestling, right? However, that rule pretty much no longer exists in wrestling. <laughs> not <laughs> like, today, no. I was even not today. I was. I said that I tweeted that like a few years ago, and an actual WWE referee at the time responded to me because he was the one that I was talking about um, on Raw. I forget what year it was, but I was like, why don't the referees tell? You know, the wrestlers not to hit, you know, not to punch them. Like, they don't count anymore. They don't warn them. And he said, that's not a rule anymore. I was like, oh. Well, then I must <laughs> have missed when if they ever mentioned it on air. because <laughs> never talked about that. <laughs> yeah, it was very... I feel like, I was like when oh, the NFL changes so. a rule, there's like a press release, there's like video, there's a whole bunch <laughs> right? of stuff. And WWE's like, nope, that's Vince McMahon for you. And we're just not worried about it. Yeah, yeah. It had to be like... 2015 or 16 or something like that. And they released, I, like, he actually official... responded to me. I was like, oh, well, thanks for the response, WWE referee. <laughs> Didn't they release like an official rule book like a couple years back? I don't even remember. but I'm pretty sure WWE released yeah. a book which is like the official rule book. And it's like something that you could buy uh, for <laughs> of WWE rules. I mean, let me see if I can find it. It was, it was a thing that but, happened, though. But to Ventura's point, yeah. I kind of agree with him. Why would you, as a referee, let Mark Marrow, marvelous Mark Marrow, <laughs> nail somebody with a closed fist and then pin and then count the pin. Like, when you just disqualify him? Like, why is that a finish? Why not warn him and have, you know, Johnny B. Bad do another finishing move or something? 
WWE put out a book called The Official WWE Book of Rules, and in parentheses, and how to break them. What is wrong <laughs> with you? This is how you know this is just a farce. It said, here's the rules, and here's how, do you, this is how you break the rules. <laughs> what? What are y'all doing? Whatever. Uh, as for this like OJ match. had his uh, idea for his book, like... <laughs> Oh, I didn't it do like, it, but if I did, yeah. here's how it would have been. And they put, I remember I was watching a documentary on OJ, the 30 for 30, and the parents of the one of the victims specifically wanted the cover to say, to have like, it said, this title of the book was called If I Did It, but right. the if was really small in the <laughs> I, so you really couldn't see the if. They just put I did it, and that's what they wanted. You look it up, I'm dead serious. The if is really small in the I. So you can barely like see it, and the book really just says "I did it" in big red letters. <laughs> so it's interesting. Uh, as far as the match, uh, this is a good match. I mean, Johnny B. Bad was a great athlete. I see why multiple promotions gave him pushes because he had charisma mm-hmm. and he could go. I don't think the booking always did him favors, uh, especially with him getting power bombed by Sable. I don't think that did him any favors back in '98. <laughs> well, yeah, I think. By that point, he was long gone as a character. Um, That's fair. In that era, I lo- I did dig him as Wildman Mark Marrow in WWF, and I thought uh, he did pretty well with Sable, and he even won the Intercontinental title. But once they did the whole Mr. Perfect swerve and Triple H beat him, I mean, he was kind of dead he in the water that. after that, and then he injured himself and never got like a ne- never regained whatever he had. Uh, you know, in WWF right. at that time, and but I I was a big fan of his in WCW. I remember he was one of the few that, you know, if I was flipping channels, what WCW was on, and uh, I never watched the full show, but like I would watch him, and I would watch Sting, I'd watch, uh, I think Stars and Stripes, Marcus Bagwell and the Patriot. Like those were some of the characters. Stars and Stripes. I, Vader, Vader, I would watch. Rick Flair, obviously. Me. So there was like a handful, and Johnny B. Bad was always one of those handfuls. So when he came to WWF, I was kind of like pumped up. I was like, why isn't he Johnny B. Bad here? And didn't realize, you know, the trademarks and all that stuff. And uh, I was like, oh, Mark Marrow? Like, that's lame. But, you know, he, he didn't really change much uh, from what I saw in WCW to WWF. Maybe got a little smaller, but. <laughs> he wasn't quite a stripper uh, anymore, neither. Correct, correct. And then he, <laughs> he had Sable. I don't, I don't know. Taking if, dollar bills. Yeah, I don't know if ringside. he needed Sable, but I mean, I don't think. There was a hindrance, and it was a, you know, typical wrestling angle, wrestling storyline where he would get jealous of her, and then they did that. But then, yeah, that was kind of like the beginning of the end for him in yeah. WWF. So, yeah, I think there's, there's some potential uh, that just didn't get met when it comes to uh, Mark Merrill. I thought again, great athlete, and he had something. It's just I don't know for whatever reason didn't work out. Uh, Mark Merrill wins this match, or Johnny B. Bad wins this match. Uh, despite the fact, despite Jeff, Jesse Ventura just being on him so much during commentary, because uh, Jesse Ventura was mad as hell when he Johnny B. Bad hits Tracy Smothers with a, a punch to the face to win the match. The kiss that don't miss. The kiss that don't miss. And Jesse Ventura pretty much stood up and screamed like, "The, the ref should not count." He read. Up, he's pretty much saying, "Stop the count." Pretty much. <laughs> uh, when Johnny B. Bad, I agree with him on this count. I agree with him. Ah, whatever. Nobody cared. <laughs> like, come on. Just, so they, the referees just going to be like, oh, you did an illegal move. Let me count. Bad yeah. form. Bad form. Maybe it wasn't in WCW's rule book at the time. Or they just said how to break it, like WWE did. And it was like, <laughs> all right. 
this is how you break it. So you you got it, I guess. I don't know. So you make sure the ref is looking directly at you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like what the hell could possibly be in that book? Like, he doesn't have the balls them? to disqualify you if you're looking right at him. It's <laughs> so dumb. It's so dumb. We're now backstage with Missy Hyatt. He's back there interviewing the new Looking for the Phantom? <laughs> Not this time. <laughs> I found the Phantom. <laughs> It's so annoying. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't clip that. I need. To, I probably should go it's back so and clip annoying. that one. Like, it's not fair. <laughs> not fair. Why does she talk like that? I don't understand. Uh, but she's with the Freebirds, the new United States Tag Team Champions, and they're with Precious, Jimmy Garvin's wife, yeah. who hadn't been on wrestling television in four years. But here she was, and this was like one of her last appearances in wrestling. I think she retired after this, <laughs> not long after this. Her last appearance, <laughs> yeah, one promo of last at WrestleWar '92, <laughs> right? But yeah, of course, her and Jimmy Jam Garvin was married since 1972. I don't know how hmm. that was throughout the 80s of him being a wrestler and her being his wife. Yeah. How wild was those times? Yeah, uh, for the Garvin folks. Uh, <laughs> but now we're back in the arena with Eric Bischoff, who says, "Behind every successful man." is an equally successful woman. And he had to attribute it first. He's like, oh, I'm going to be politically correct here when I say this. But, uh, and then he said it. And it's like, it's wild to think that acknowledging a woman's success, is con- it was considered, at least at that point, oh, yeah. politically correct. <laughs> like, yeah. what? Well, it's almost like taboo. Someone's success, yeah. right. Like, you're going to upset somebody by being nice? I guess, like, WSW based in the South, I... Uh, <laughs> Maybe that has something to do with it. They don't like it, successful women in the South? Yes, <laughs> not. They want you barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen? Like How many people wanted way? to see Medusa, you know, like beat up uh, at war games? I'm sure a lot of them. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, that goes beyond just, like, successful women. That's just people having heat with women in general. <laughs> right. Because uh, there's a lot of guys out there who don't like women. <laughs> Literally, they be dating women all the time. They be talking to them, but they actually don't like women. It's the wildest thing. Uh, they, yeah. they only like their male friends. They don't like women. They only see women there as, what can you do for me, <laughs> type of thing. Uh, but people are weird because acknowledging so. <laughs> a woman's success should be a given. But like, that's right. You, you said it correct. earlier when we were talking about our Philly commentators with Kate Scott. It's just just because she was a woman, people already had a, yeah. a preconceived notion about her, and they, they look for the worst. So right, because like, it, it's hard enough to replace Mark Zumoff, right? And then she, Nobody would have, male or female, but right. Kate Scott's done a good it's, job. It's like a double whammy for her, but she's she's hard her own. Kate Scott is damn good at what she does. I just yep. I know she was in a tough position, at least at first, uh, when, when she first came yeah. into town. But yeah, people and are weird. She's smart enough to know that you know she was in that position, and she literally took it. You know, it's like that and should be good. like looked up upon, but like in the not down market upon. too. Right, you be tough, man. Yeah, tough on people. Especially, again, you're replacing an institution like Mark Zumoff. Like, the next guy, whenever Merrill Reese retires, is, you know, what, you know, hopefully he's doing it for a long time, obviously. But that person who replaces Merrill Reese eventually, oh, yeah. good luck, man. Like, yeah. you got to get the people on your side week one, bro. Like, preseason. Good, <laughs> I'm serious, bro. Luck. Yeah, exactly. Because he's, he's an institution in this town. And yeah, people and, are just used to hearing that voice. You know, I was talking about earlier when I would do Scott Fransky. I, people... You know, in my mentions, like, thank you so much for this because Tom McCarthy sucks. And it's like, 
No, he doesn't. Like, Tom McCarthy is good. I don't, that's not why I I do this. And I I don't want people to react that way. I don't understand. It's like, just because you you like one person over the other doesn't mean the other one sucks. And, like, just. Just put it on mute if you don't like him. Why do you gotta Tom talk McCarthy so much crap on him? I don't, I don't understand. But I don't know. It's just too many other people who calls baseball on television for like big moments better than Tom McCarthy. Right, and he's Period. not only a Phillies commentator. He does college. He does college he football. Does, and NFL, NFL games like, for CBS. It, it's don't no, forget that. Exactly. That's the reason why Tom McCarthy be out here. He's nice. <laughs> like, Tom <laughs> McCarthy goes from Phillies games and then straight to Sunday. He's doing a, uh, I don't know a. a some AFC game for CBS somewhere, probably like <laughs> yeah. the fifth game, but he's doing it. <laughs> like he's he's out here, and like I said, some big moments, especially like over the last like ten years when the team was bad, obviously. Yes. But some yes. of those rare moments that would pop up. I remember it was like one time there was oh, I forget who the catcher was, but it was the play at the plate, and I think the guy tried to run over the catcher and he held on, and it was like yeah. oh it's in time, and he just made this yeah. tremendous yeah. call. And I was like that's incredible. It was the Cameron Rupp. Was that yes. Cameron Rupp? And yeah. Exactly. Cameron Rupp. I don't some... remember if it ended the game, but God, it was like for those Philly teams and how bad they were, just how like having that excitement come through. And oh it's not God. it's not a an act because Bro. the broadcasters are just as much part of the team. That like it's so hard for them, I'm sure, not to uh be partial, but uh you could tell when the excitement comes out how happy they are for these guys Bro. when they make big plays. He's Scott Fransky notwithstanding, Tom McCarthy's done it through the years too. It's just incredible. He's calling this game with Cameron Rupp at catcher and Darren <laughs> Ruff out there. Right. And uh, who else is it? Cody Ash. Uh, who was Jeff Francoeur, you know, <sighs> out there? Like, it, it's uh, Tyler Goodell. Uh, you know, I think that was the – that might have been the left fielder that threw the, threw the ball. Like, and he's just, giving you everything he's ugh. got. Tom McCarthy's so good. What are you talking about? I can't make people be wild, bro. Same big people. Joe Buck is bad. No, he's not. Joe Buck is actually <laughs> having called, not obviously to, the, to that level, nowhere near that level, but having done it somewhat, it's so hard to call sporting events. And to do it with the calmness and the grace that Joe Buck has and like just to, he's smooth about it. No, he's tremendous. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he he did a great job. I, people don't like his Phillies World Series call. He's just like, the Phillies are world champions. Yeah, like, he, he, has, he was a little subdued over the years. Like, I will say he's gotten better with adding some oomph to it, but he's still really good, though. Like, I didn't need, like you're at home. Why do you have to feel like, as a commentator, you don't need to feel like you need to be above a home crowd cheering? So that's why, like, I like his call because he's just like, the Phillies are world champions. And he, he let the crowd speak for itself. Yeah. Now, if it's an away game... You kind of like maybe you you get a little more excited because you know the crowd's not replace, yeah reacting you know like so you, you need to be the energy yeah. you're you're just crowned a world champion of a, a professional sport a top four or five professional sport in this country you got to have excitement behind it but if especially if you're away but if you're home I don't think you need it you have the home crowd to t- tell the story so uh, I didn't really hate his World Series call the way a lot of Phillies fans did, but you know, Whatever. not everyone's going to be Harry Callis. You know, not everyone's going right. to be Scott Fransky. Not everyone's going to be Merrill Reese. You just they're they're a yeah. national person, so yeah, it is what it is. Moving on, it is time for the most bizarre match in the card, in my opinion. Okay. <laughs> we got Marcus Alexander Bagwell against Scotty Flamingo. 
Or Buff Bagwell versus Raven. <laughs> NWO versus The Flock. It's, it's wild. It's really wild. I know Scott, you know, Scott Levy, Raven, he's, he wasn't always Raven. I know he was Scotty Flamingo and he was Johnny Polo. But it's still wild <laughs> to see him like this. He's hitting spins during not one spin. He hit two spins on that ramp. Ooh. Like, was he was he trying to be a dancer? <laughs> What's going on here? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Then before the match starts, we got JR. Again, good old JR clowning the hell out of Jesse Ventura for being old. <laughs> <laughs> because Ventura goes, Oh yeah, I was in Vietnam. You were in high school, you know, and and stuff like that. And oh, he said no. <laughs> Jr. said that because I forget what Ventura said about being old or whatever, something like that. And Jr. was like, "Man, you were in, you were in Vietnam. I was in high school, old man." And I think <laughs> Ventura got caught flat footed. He didn't say nothing for a little bit. He had to think about it. And then he was like, "Oh yeah, no wonder you weren't there, Jr. You dodged the draft or something like that." But <laughs> I think Jr. caught him good with that one. Uh, so that was pretty funny. Uh, Bagwell and Flamingo, by the way. They just started slapping each other like they were in a Japanese wrestling <laughs> match, like they were in a Tokyo Dome. They were just slapping the hell out of each other. Yeah. It, again, I, I don't remember a WWF match like starting like this. If I was watching this, I was like so pro WWF. I would be like, these guys are stupid. They're just letting each other slap <laughs> each other. Like it makes <laughs> no sense. Each other. These guys are dumb as hell. <laughs> it was weird. It was weird. The match moved really fast. They moved at a really quick pace. You know, which is again, this right. is Buff Bagwell and Raven. You wouldn't expect that, but they're not that. There's Marcus Alexander Bagwell and Scotty Flamingo <laughs> moving like they're trying to be cruiserweights out there. That's right. But at the, at the end of the day, Johnny Flamingo won by pulling the tights to win Mm-mm-mm. the match. So he cheated Mm-mm-mm. and did another spin, I think, after that. So moving on, we now get a video package hyping up Beach Blast, which is the oh. next pay per view on the calendar. Another great name. No. That's what they changed. Yeah, I have the Great American Bash. You don't need Bash at the Beach. No, Beach Blast is not good. I don't it's like great. Beach it's got the wave, like the bustle. It's great. No, Beach Blast. Beach Blast, I don't like it. It's just, what? what is a Beach Blast? What is a Bash at the Beach when you have Great it's American bash. bash? You can't have two Bashes it's in a, two months. I know, what a, I know what a Bash is. It's like a party. What's a Blast? Like, as an event. Like I'm, I had a blast, but like I'm going to a blast. Yeah, <laughs> that don't make any sense. You're going to a beach blast. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's a blast no, at know, the beach. I'm going go over here real quick. Hit up this blast. You know what I'm saying? Hit up this blast real quick. No, nobody says that. <laughs> you feel me? I'm finna get this blast. See what's going on. See who all, who all there at the blast? Nobody says that. Who are over there? But you already have a bash, so why would you have two bashes back to back? It's still People don't like, like bashes. <laughs> People like bashes. You can do the Great American Bash in July and then bash at the beach in August. I would be better with that mm-hmm. than like June and July bash I'm bash. Also, I'm okay with, and I think WWE should keep doing this. SummerSlam or like a summer show. Don't wait till August to do a summer show. Summer yeah. is pretty much a wrap at that point. Like we're moving on from <laughs> summer by August, right? Training camp is starting, preseason but games. I, I I'm kinda, done with summer. Yeah, but I, growing up, I always looked at it as the culmination of all the summer stories. That, so now I, that's I, fair. I, I like. I'll that. give you that. Yeah, I'll give you that. Because and you don't want SummerSlam and WrestleMania too close together. Right. But I will say, I think this year was late July. I think was, yeah, I liked it. Yep. 
it felt more in the and summer. And the very like, end of like, July, so it was like almost in the middle of summer. Right, like, and I'm yeah. okay if it's middle July because me mid July is like that's peak summertime. Yeah, it's like that mid June to mid July point. That's like when it's all right. We're here. It's summer, <laughs> right? By the time you get to August and maybe especially mid to late August, which is when SummerSlam typically happens, people are getting ready for school to start. Like it's summer's out. <laughs> like <laughs> it's out of here. I'm tired of being hot. I've already done my summer vacation time running around hitting beaches or whatever. So, yeah. But I, I understand. I understand what you're saying. It, 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 it culminates the summer. I get you. Uh, but we move on from that. Uh, also, oh, also in that commercial for Beach Blast is they reference Jaws. And they do like the kind of the music, the you know, yeah. the movie Jaws. Awesome. Just when you thought it was safe to go to the beach and something like that. You know, that's, <laughs> that's all Jaws stuff. Um, but we're back here with, with Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura. They're hyping up the next match, which is a kind of a wild one that I did not expect to see on the show. <laughs> we got Ron Simmons and Junkyard Dog going against Cactus Jack and Mr. Hughes in a tag team match. Wild stuff. <laughs> Just yeah. on top. Yeah. Because the reason why this match became the B is because JYD was in a crowd at a show. Saw Ron Simmons getting beat up. I said, no, I got to help the young brother out. And just walked slowly down to the <laughs> ring from the stands in a suit and a tuxedo. Hopped the rail. Instead of fighting wrestlers, that should be an arrest. <laughs> like, <what's, laughs> he just slowly walked down. And, and they just he watched him do it. Down. <laughs> like, just shook somebody's hand on the way in and then, like, started beating people up. It's wild stuff. <laughs> uh, I love that... Uh, Mr. Hughes and Cactus Jack's like music. It was like pretty much like the funeral procession music. <laughs> um, and Cactus Jack just walks backstage instead of walking down to the ring. Like, what the, <laughs> where the hell is he going? <laughs> right. And then of course when JYD and Simmons comes out, Cactus Jack sneaks with JYD. Right. Uh, <laughs> like an easy one. Uh, uh, Cactus Jack and JYD fight near the stage. Simmons and Hughes are in the ring. Cactus Jack shoves JYD chest first into the stage because remember mm-hmm. they had to elevate the stage at this point yeah. elevated ramp i should say so they're fighting off the side of that he pushes him chest first into it and then and on top of that hit him from hit him with the elbow from the stage to the floor Ooh. crazy spot by cactus jack mm. but it ends with jyd having his chest hurt and he's received medical attention and he's taken back to the you know backstage after a slight delay but then Ron Simmons says, I don't care. I don't need a taxing partner. I'm beating both of your asses. <laughs> I don't need nobody. And he beat the brakes off of both of them. And then Cactus Jack, is, he's going crazy. He's squealing into the camera. All hell is broken loose. Okay. And then out of nowhere, the match has changed from a tag team match to a one-on-one. This was not announced to the live audience, by the way. This was just announced to us at home. So if you're in the, in the building in Jacksonville, you're like, what? What, what happened to JYD? <laughs> like... <laughs> I wanted to do. I wanted to see him bark. Like I wanted to see the junkyard dog, and he's just gone. And now it's Ron Simmons and Curtis Hughes in the ring. Okay, but speaking of Mr. Hughes, Curtis Hughes, right? They mentioned J- Jim Ross. He always got to mention this type of stuff. He mentioned that Curtis Hughes, Mr. Hughes, played football at Kansas State. Uh-huh. And you know, you know me. Oh yeah, you know me. Let's get the scouting report. Let's get the scouting report. Let's look up. Let's get the stats. I want to see everything. <laughs> and I Google Curtis Hughes, Kansas State, and I came up empty. Oh, no. So here's what I had to do, because I knew there's, there's another way to do this. So, you know, listen, maybe he wasn't a star. Maybe he wasn't a starter. You know, just he done, also he played in the 80s. Isn't maybe like Curtis his, Hughes isn't his real name. It is his real name. Oh, but okay. 
maybe you know this is before every team you know now for the last decade or so you can probably still go look up like a jason kelsey's profile from the university of cincinnati's website right and you can see young baby jason kelsey on there from 2011 or whatever it is right but you couldn't you can't do that for guys from the 80s right and we'll have those profile pages that still exist and are still up so i went to kansas state's website went to their media guide because most media guides for teams nowadays back in the day back in the good old days it used to be a physical copy of the media guide now nobody does that at least very few people do it they just do a pdf on a site now save paper save money <laughs> uh but most media guides have an all-time roster literally yeah. every player that suited up for the team listen in alphabetical order and kansas state does as well and they have their all-time letter winners and on their website was Curtis Hughes' defensive tackle, which is what Jim, Jim Ross said, from 1983 through 1985. So, yes, he did play for Kansas State. Yeah. Uh, but then I got to thinking, because I couldn't find really much, much else. <laughs> and I was like, man, from what I remember, though, I remember hearing Kansas State up until, like, the mid to late 90s was a garbage program. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so i like, I need to see how bad they were. And through those three seasons... It was pretty rough, <laughs> okay, because in 1983, his first season, at least listed on the website, they went three and eight, which is not great, but three and eight. The next season, 84, they went three, seven, and one. Mm, it's same, but yeah, it got a tie <laughs> instead of an extra loss. And then 85 hit, and the bottom fell out. Oh, no. They went one and ten. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> All right. And here's the thing about that, that that season, the 85 season in general. It's a wild season, right? Because I had to do some digging. They lost their first two games <laughs> to Wichita State and Northern Iowa. Neither one of those teams are what you would call back then D1A. They were back then D1AA or what you would call today FCS, oh, Football shit. Championship Subdivision. Kansas State and all the other big time programs that you know and love are FBS football bowl subdivision. Hmm. I, I just as a uh, aside, never liked the bowl system. I can't wait till they do a twelve team playoff. Now, <laughs> just a quick aside, because every other level of college sports and sports in general, at least in this country, has playoffs except college football when they have four teams for some reason. But Division Two has like twenty four teams. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> All right, but the thing about Northern Iowa and Wichita State is that again, you, for one, back in the eighties, you could there's no losing to a team lower than you. Today, it's like it happens, it's bad, but those teams are good too. They're they're getting better. Mm-hmm. Back in the eighties, that wasn't the case. You're supposed to steamroll these teams. No, they lost to both of those teams. Wichita State, the Northern Iowa, is still playing football to this day in the FCS. Wichita State doesn't have a football program anymore. Oh. In fact, they got rid of their, their last season as a football program was 1986. Holy so that crap. means they were on death's door when they beat Kansas State. <laughs> All right. So th- their big sport is uh, basketball, right? Yes, basketball. the Shockers. Of Wichita I do, State, I do, baby. Yeah, I do remember them being uh, a story in the NCAA tournament. Uh, then they went to the Final Four. That was, um, who was their coach? Oh, it's a black guy. It was um, with a very unique name. Damn, I can't remember his name. <laughs> and I think he went, Shaka Smart? Oh, yeah, Shaka yeah, Smart. That, yeah. That was Wichita State, huh? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was there. Uh, Shaka Smart was the coach at Wichita State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's now at, 
I think he's Mar- at Marquette, it looks like now. Mm. Uh, which is a good, you know, good good spot. But, yeah, he's at Marquette now. So, so they haven't had Texas a football program to. since 86. Since 86. Oof. All right? And this is who Kansas State lost to. Okay? Uh, and Northern Iowa, look at them. They're, they're a respectable program. They're, they're at 5-5, five and five, at least by the time I watched this show. They might have lost or won since then. But they're a respectable program. Uh, after that loss, that second loss, Kansas State fired their coach. <laughs> the poor Jim Dickey got fired. All mm-hmm. right, they hired as an interim Jeff Saturday. No, they didn't hire Jeff Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> what a wild time it is in it in is. Indianapolis. <laughs> Indianapolis sports. They hired Curtis. They hired Jeff Saturday. <laughs> Yeah, Jeff Saturday as a coach. No, they hired a guy named even better name, not Jeff Saturday. <laughs> Lee Moon is <laughs> his oh. name. <laughs> like, what great names we got here? Uh, Lee Moon, he did not spark a turnaround. They lost oh, the next bummer. four games. But they did get their lone win on the Lee Moon. They beat Missouri 20 to 17. Now, you would think, man, they got to win. It's got to suck Missouri. for Missouri. That's a, that's a big eight school. At least they were conference opponents. Back in the day, the, I mean, the, the, the conference, they work in the same conference when they're in the Big 12. I'm not sure if they were in the Big 8 together. This was when it was the Big 8 back in the 80s. Um, I think Missouri's in the SEC now, so they're not even in the same conference anymore. However, you would think this would spark like a big turnaround. Like, oh, man, we got to win. Here we go. Over the last four games, guess how many points Kansas, Kansas State scored? <laughs> Eight. A little more than that. <laughs> they scored 20 15, points uh, 20. in their last four games. They scored a total of two touchdowns over those last four games. They got held to three points twice and were shut out in the season finale. Mm. That team only scored double digits, 10 or more, five of their 11 games. You're not going to win many games if you can't score 10. No. They scored 20 only twice. The most they scored was 22. 22 points. And that wasn't a loss. <laughs> Damn. That was the highest scoring game they had all season. They lost. Defense wasn't great, obviously. You know, they gave up 41 points multiple times, but never more than 41 points. You know, think a team this bad would give up like 50, 60, maybe even 70. No, only 41. But the offense, clearly that offense was big, big trash. Um, uh, but yeah, Ron Simmons uh, fared a little better at Florida State. <laughs> yeah, Ron Simmons, yeah, college football Hall of Famer. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know how many games they won when he was there, but he was great. You don't have so to go looking that. much for his uh, college. Exactly, Ron report. Simmons, Florida State. <laughs> Boom, you got the whole thing lined up. College football Hall of Fame bio, Florida State bio, all that stuff lined up. Jersey retired in the in the locker room, like literally, like his jersey, his locker room is encased in glass in Florida State. So, yeah, but Curtis Hughes, a little different, a little different. Uh, but despite all that, uh, we get this match. And I do like, I will say, as much as Jesse Ventura complained about a lot of things, he would poke holes in wrestling booking logic uh, and wrestling logic in general. And I wish more logic, just basic logic sometimes, would be, be applied to pro wrestling. It just, it'd be nice sometimes. <laughs> just make it make sense. That's all. Uh, but the outcome of this match was is pretty much you knew how it was going to go. Ron Simmons is going to beat Curtis Hughes, and he did so uh, by clipping him 
which would be a flag, a 15-yard penalty in the <laughs> NFL, but this is not football. Uh, this is pro wrestling, and that gives you the victory. So, Ron Simmons is your winner. Any thoughts from Curtis Hughes against Ron Simmons? I'll tell you, no. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to look for an avenue to fit in uh, Curtis Hughes being known for catching Mr. Perfect's towel on his shoulder. <laughs> but uh, Oh, man, yeah. Yeah, that's... Which was dope, by the way. There was no avenue for me to say that. No. So, I mean, but, you brought it up still. By the way, that was funny as hell. I mean, it's it's a gift that so many wrestling fans love uh, and use. Uh, what was that? A King, King of the Ring, right? Qualifying match. <laughs> I Mr. believe Perfect so. Just it tosses, was great, though. Tosses the towel and <laughs> lands on it. Hughes' shoulder, and he just like looks at him with that mean, mean mug that he was so known for. At least at WWF. I don't know if he did that face at WCW, but he was a uh, Mister Hughes in WWF. Yeah, I don't think they called him Curtis Hughes. So I think he was Mister Hughes here as well. Got you. So, but moving on, it is now time for Todd Champion. Hell yeah, your boy versus versus <laughs> Super Invader from Halloween Havoc, right? Yep. He was uh he was like a colonel or something like that. He was he was from WW Special Forces. <laughs> Man. Uh wow. Uh I looked I was like, who the hell is Super Invader? Yeah, right. I never he heard familiar. of this guy before. He didn't look that familiar because he's wearing a stocking over his face. Well his body. No, I couldn't tell who the body was. Oh wow. And I looked up Super Invader, and it was Hercules. Yeah. <laughs> Not a man from Bangkok, Thailand, like they said he was. Because <laughs> uh, Super Invader not only was wearing a mask, he was Asian. That's yeah. the, 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 the lore yeah. behind the character. He right. could have just been a white guy wearing a mask. No, he had to be Asian. Wrestling was wild, man. Because that was not the first time that happened. And not the no. only promotion that did that. We talked about before in WWF where they had one half of the Orient Express be played yeah. by a man born in Europe, I believe. Uh, and it was a great soccer player. Paul Diamond, right? Yeah. And he put a mask over him, and he's got lighter skin, so it's like, you you from Asia now. <laughs> or you're Oriental, as they would say, because you're part yeah. of the Orient Express. Like, yeah. what the hell? Mm. But yeah, Hercules was Super Invader. More racism at play. This match was nothing. Uh, I think Super Invader won. I didn't even write down who won the match. Super Invader won, though, right? Yeah, he like, did. <laughs> he did okay. with a powerbomb. <laughs> and that's that. I got nothing else, bro. No, it was, you know, Paul Roma would be in WCW shortly after this. I'm, I would have loved to see them reunite, but Power and Glory. Yeah, Power and Glory, happen. man. That's, is that the height? No, that can't be the height of Hercules' career. Definitely probably, or either I that mean, or... Maybe not. Well, Horseman like, was tied to Paul Roma's right, career. Right, right. Didn't Hercules, Hercules go against Hogan at some point in the 80s? I think he did. He was a pretty okay. popular baby face, too, with the chain and everything. So yeah. I wouldn't call it. But okay. as a tag team, though, man, they were Great. one of the... They were, I think they're so underrated as a tag team because they're never talked about because they were only together for like a few months in yeah. WWF as Power and Glory. But it was when I started watching, so I was like, damn, like this team... Literally, the like the biggest heel team when I started watching. It wasn't Demolition. It was Power and Glory to me. And they, they beat the crap out of the Rockers at SummerSlam in 1990. And I remember being like, oh, my God, like these guys are going to be the champions. Uh, they're going to kill the Hart Foundation. You know, like they're going to k- kill all the good guys. But, uh, yeah, it just wasn't meant to be. But I'll tell you, man, 
that finishing move everyone loves and everyone that goes back and watches Power and Glory now, they're like, damn, they were pretty damn good. Rocket launcher. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Like One of the best tag team finishes of all time. Suplex off the ropes and then the splash. It's just like... Tremendous. You don't see that anymore. Well, somebody like in the era of everyone else taking finishing moves and and putting their own spin on it, that would be a hell of a finishing move didn't, for a tag team. Didn't right Enzo now. and Cass do the rocket launcher? Uh, yeah, but they, I thought it, they did. It was. I don't think it was, there was a suplex involved. Was I don't there? think there was a suplex involved neither. I thought maybe he jumped off of Cass. Cass it was yeah, something. Yeah. Or no, I think Cass he Cass would throw him. I think or something or slam him. It was something. Okay. I, somebody recently was doing the rocket <laughs> launch. I can't remember who it was. I, for some reason, my brain is telling me Enzo and Cass, which is maybe. remember them. <laughs> they yeah, were a thing. Yeah. Uh, together. Uh, I mean, we do got. I mean, W Morrissey is still around, obviously, but. <laughs> You know, Enzo and Cass, they were, like, hottest thing for, like, like a couple months. It's crazy. And even, like, Cass turning on Enzo had a lot of heat. And uh, but They should have never did that, though, man. That was terrible. Yeah. That was the beginning of the Ill end times. of WWE. Ill times. It was terrible. It was terrible. Uh, but moving on, speaking of terrible, we're going to move on from this terrible match between <laughs> Super Invader and Todd Champion to something that's slightly better with Richard Morton versus Big Josh. Big Josh. He's back. The only thing I really had about this match was what in the hell was up with this three count from the ref? Oh, I didn't even You notice. didn't notice? Oh, why did I? Bro, he goes one, two, and then, like, as he's putting his hand down, he, like, touches Richard Morton's face. And then, like, <laughs> everybody's like, uh, is that it? And then he jumps up, and the bell rings. Like, yeah, that's it. Like, you can tell the announcers weren't even expecting it. Jeez, I was, like, like oh, probably okay. typing, my, I was typing my notes and... Look, like man. once I like notice like a match like you could really tell when the end of a match is in this era especially because um, like with their finish my notes, and they lose you know? like I don't <laughs> I must have not watched usually I watch the finish just like for the count I must have not seen it but I because pro- I probably would have noted that and I did not Some yeah it was bitch. it was kind of weird and it didn't seem it didn't make any sense as to why it was happening like I could see like if I could see why he did it. And I go, okay, I understand. Like, it's, it's unfortunate. It's not ideal, but I see what he was trying to do. I don't know what he was trying to do in this instance. You know, like, I, could, I can't find it. So it was weird. It was really weird. But moving on from that, we're now back with Tony Richard Morgan, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned it before, but, like, the Rock and Roll Express, man. Like, Richard Morgan was singles for a long time. I don't even, like, think about that. Robert Gibson, like, they just... I forgot how Rock and Roll Express was just not Rock and Roll Express for a long time, and Richard Morton was Richard Morton in WCW. was like a singles guy. I remember seeing him on like a Saturday night episode, and I was like, what the hell? Like, probably on like WWE Network. <laughs> I was hell? like, what the hell? Richard Morton? He's a singles guy? Like, no mention of oh, Robert man. Gibson, no mention of the Rock they and Roll split, Express. So They I was split like, the Midnight Express up too. Bobby Eaton. I know. Like, I know. He was... Yeah. Was he Robert Eaton with William Regal for a little bit? Stephen yeah, and, yeah. Uh, That's I think Halloween Havoc, he was by himself. So he was yeah, a singles, he's a baby It's just face. like kind of like crazy. And then the era of tag teams, you know, they split those two up. And I, you know, I wasn't watching back then. I just, I always saw Richard Morton was a, a singles guy that got put back together with Rock and Roll Express. And then same with Bobby Eaton. I always thought he was a singles guy. And then he just became a bad guy with William Regal. Like how crazy is that to think about? Yeah, you don't even know them as like the height of their careers, right? You know exactly. Them as guys. Until you know, I was watching old stuff. You know, right. as I got older, and you know, buying you tapes, know. and then obviously, WWF started uh, 
uploading these older shows on their website actually before the WWE Network, and they did that for a while. And I would actually save a link to it on my laptop, and they were like old wrestling challenge episodes, not so much WCW shows. I think there were like a few WCW shows they would upload, but never you know like in the space of like a WWE Network. It was just like links on their website, and uh, I would watch it here and there. So. And obviously, when 24-7 On Demand came up, that's when I watched a lot of the old NWA stuff with, uh, you know, in the 80s with WCW slash NWA. So I was like, oh, the Rock and Roll Express. <laughs> yeah, you knew Bobby Eaton as a TV champion. Yeah. WCW. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, the Midnight Express, you know? Like, yeah. So I, I knew the Midnight Express was a thing because the new Midnight Express, but oh my God. not the Rock and Roll Express. <laughs> I know they made, like, a cameo in 98 WWF, but, you know, I... You knew the Midnight Express because of the new Midnight Express. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Stop it. That's so bad. Bob Holly and Mark I, I'm Gunn, not baby. But was it Bodacious Bart? And yeah. Was it? <laughs> I can't remember the other one. Was it Bold Bo- Bob? Or Bodacious, like Bodacious Bob and Beautiful Bart, maybe. Beautiful Bart. That's right. Maybe. <laughs> that bold Bob. <laughs> that's a name. Bob Holly, before cutting his hair short, he had like his long hair. He dyed it all blonde, just so like. Oh, uh, like Richard such Morton. A weird, yeah, it was just like weird. Morton. <laughs> like a weird look, man. He's really trying to channel Punky and Hoot out there, man. I, I applaud it actually. You gonna be in the, you gonna be in the Midnight Express? You got to commit, bro. True that. Uh, True. We're back again with Tony Schiavone and Eric Bischoff, who are previewing the upcoming. World Light Heavyweight Championship match between the Z-Man and Flying Brian Pillman. We then get a look at a video of Z-Man calling out Johnny Flamingo and was it JT Southern. I don't know who I don't remember who that was. Uh, but jo- definitely Johnny Flamingo and saying, "Hey man, y'all want the title? Y'all can come get it." You know what I'm saying, I, I, "You you can line it up right now." And he's like, and "Brian Pillman's like, hey man, I, but I'm the champion. You don't get to <laughs> right. say things about what's gonna happen with my title." You know what I'm saying? I, like, you, know, you know what I mean. You know what I mean, Bryce. Like, no, I don't. You, don't you know people like that though? Who like if something is yours, like, yeah, but we're gonna do it. And it's like I didn't say we was gonna do anything. You're gonna be volunteering my stuff. Volunteer Yeah, you can come over to so and so's house. Like, that's my house. I don't invite people. You don't want to volunteer my crib for anything. You know, but that's what Tom Tom Zink was doing in this instance. He was overstepping a boundary. Mm-mm. Heel tendency. Boundary. For my favorite Tom Zink. Yeah. He's apologizing. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. Brian's like, no, nah, bro, you don't be looking past me like that. You know what I'm saying? I beat your ass out here, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> but now it is time for the World WCW World Light Heavyweight Championship. Mm. Z-Man Tom Zink versus Flying Brian Pillman. Z-Man comes out and he gets scared of his own pyro like he's Eric Young. Uh, which I don't blame him necessarily because that pyro would just go bam and it's you right there. It's like, like, whoa. Could he be any more or less uh, charismatic? <laughs> like Tom Zink? Oh. He's, just, he's just standing there, and then in, like the fireworks go off. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm here. No, Cheer I'm for like me, Tom guys. Think, Cheer for me. Like, he was like not he, charismatic at all. I think he has some charisma. Ring. I think he's No, like not, I just mean this night, not like oh, on this in night. general. Okay. Like on this night, he could not look less interested. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess. I don't know. Because like, it's like the pyro woke him up. It's like, oh yeah, I'm out of here. Hey, sometimes cheer you for need me. That. <laughs> sometimes you need that. I'm the good guy. <laughs> then we got Jesse Ventura, who could not believe that Brian Pillman played nose tackle in football. <laughs> Which and, I kind of agree with him because for me, I don't think Brian Pillman 
stature didn't he didn't look like a football player as like Curtis Hughes or Ron Simmons to me because I don't know just maybe it's that so, era when I was watching like he just looks smaller than he really is and so I, maybe it was thing. the tights or I don't know football players obviously they've gotten bigger over the years and mm-hmm. you see nose tackles they're 300 plus pounds <laughs> and they're six well over six feet tall all right Fletcher Cox one of the largest human beings I've ever seen in my life all right <laughs> The only person that's bigger is Jordan Davis, <laughs> all right? <laughs> yeah. Massive human beings, right? But they're both like 6'4", 300 plus. But you got to remember, this is the early, late 70s, early 80s. Football players weren't as big back then, number one. Number two, Brian Pillman didn't go to a, like a massive school. He went to Miami of Ohio, and he's short, which you think, oh, Short means he shouldn't play defensive line. No, short means he can play defensive line because he's easier. He can easily get leverage over larger linemen. And in football, there's a saying that low man wins. <laughs> and I remember on my high school team, we had a guy who's a center who was like five, 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 but he can get up under people and move them. Look at Kelsey, Jason Kelsey. Mm-hmm. He ain't the tallest guy in the world, but he can get up under people and he can move too. He can. He's, he's really athletic. But as a defensive tackle, who he probably let's say he he probably had a little more weight on him maybe as a defensive tackle. He wasn't flying Brian size and <laughs> being a defensive tackle, right? You would think he probably cut weight a little bit to play to be a wrestler. I don't know. Maybe he didn't. Maybe I'm wrong. But look, it didn't matter because he's still an All American. <laughs> like yeah. it wasn't like he was just okay. He was an All American. He was the MAC. That's the Mid American Conference, by the way. Conference has had like people like Byron Leftwich and great players like Khalil Mack won this award and Jack Lambert, who Jack Lambert's in the Hall of Fame, by the way, he won Mid American Conference Defensive Player of the Year in 1983. Okay, like I said, Khalil Mack won that award. He's in the NFL, he's one of the best in the game. Okay, Jack Lambert's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Remember Jason Babin? He won that award <laughs> twice. <laughs> Did you know that? He won it twice. Nope. So, yeah. yeah. Brian Pillman was nice in college, like All-American and Mac Defensive Player of the Year. He was not to be played with, despite the fact that he didn't look like a normal defensive tackle, right? And then I got to think, it's like, yo, Pillman has to be, if you're talking about guys who are great at football and wrestling, Pillman is probably, he's two or three on that list of those guys, right? Because the best choice is obviously Ron Simmons, right? College football Hall of Famer. Uh, but you also had Ernie Ladd, who was really yeah. good at football, really good at wrestling. Ernie Ladd played in the league. <laughs> like, yeah. It wasn't like he was small time. Okay, He played in the league. And there were other guys. I think Wahoo McDaniel played in the NFL, too, and was a great wrestler. But And then I, I would throw in like a Goldberg. People don't know Goldberg was a really good football player in college. He's a defensive captain at Georgia. He, Georgia just, you know, those that Georgia team, that team that just won a national championship last year. You know, he led the team in tackles his last season and was drafted in the NFL. Brian Pillman didn't even get drafted. Goldberg was drafted. He didn't do a ton when he was in the NFL, but he was there. You know what I'm saying? I think Pillman has to be in that conversation of, like, guys who are great at football and great in the ring. Another name would be Angelo Mosca who played in the CFL for a long time, right? And it was a great wrestler, too. But there, there aren't that many guys. A lot of guys in wrestling played football. They weren't that great. They might have played at college. You know, you got Steve Austin. He you know, played at college a little bit, but he wasn't particularly that great, you know? 
But then you got guys who were like, again, Pillman was Defensive Player of the Year of a conference, and it was in the NFL, won the Ed Block Courage Award in the NFL. You know, Ernie Ladd, and those guys I just named, those are guys. Ron Simmons, again, College Football Hall of Famer. <laughs> like, that's wild. So I think Pillman has to be in that conversation, though, in my opinion. Um, I would back you up in that opinion. <laughs> well, thank you. It's I funny, though, because like, growing up, I'd always be like, oh, these people couldn't cut it in pro football. That's why I, I, I loved wrestling, but I almost looked at it as like underneath that in a way because it was always like they would always say, oh, he played in the NFL. It's like, well, why would they leave that for this? Not understanding that it's very hard <laughs> to play in, at a professional level in anything. So a lot. Brian Pimble is one of those that just thank God he was great at wrestling because we've have so many great memories of him uh, wrestling and on the on the mic and stuff like that. So, yeah, there's a lot of guys like that. And I, as I grew up, I started realizing that, well, I more respect for those guys that, you know, maybe they weren't good enough to stay on the football field for their whole career, but I'm kind of happy about that because then we got to see them in wrestling and really kind of into our world that we love so much and and they blossomed and Brian Pillman's definitely one of those yeah I know some people probably do this and like what about Roman Reigns what about The Rock they weren't The Rock got cut from a CFL team (laughs) like (laughs) he wasn't that he did play University of Miami but he also got a spot taken by Warren Sapp like that's a known (laughs) story (laughs) like he was nice in high school obviously he got to the U but like his pro career didn't go that well same with Roman Reigns he was good at Georgia Tech he got in a camp or two. He was also in the CFL with Edmonton, I believe. Nah. We're talking about guys who, like, <laughs> I'm talking guys who were really good in college, who were either really good in college, like Pillman or Ron Simmons, or guys who actually played on teams, not just in camps. You know what I'm saying? Like, Goldberg was on the roster for the Falcons and the Rams. Right, right. You know, Ernie Ladd played for the Chiefs. Like you wouldn't even think Brock Lesnar's not even on there because he no, didn't he's make only the in camps. <laughs> he's only in camp, right? We're not talking. I'm not talking about that. There's a lot right. of guys who cycle through camps, all right? Right. Uh, I'm talking, you know, who did I mention earlier? I said Ernie Ladd, he played. Wyatt McDaniel played. Like, those guys played in the NFL. So I'm thinking, saying really good in college or you played in the NFL, like, on the roster, <laughs> like, not just in camp. Okay, everybody can see the uh, the headshots of these guys. They take those headshots well before the season. <laughs> okay, you find a Roman Reigns headshot of him in the Vikings jersey that that happened in the, probably April. <laughs> like he, <laughs> he did not make it to to the week one of that right. team. <laughs> okay, but moving on, we got the match now: light heavyweight championship, Flying Brian, Z Man, Jim Ross calling the match and making it so great. He just helps. He just helps matches feel better when this, he calls them and he's when he's in his own and the fans were right. into it too but jim ross man he can call a damn match bro right and i i appreciate watching these types of matches back because uh, i would have never been interested you know of watching it live in 1992 because i didn't care necessarily about the athleticism or the moves i just cared about who won and the entertainment value so uh wcw always i, I think they realized they couldn't compete entertainment wise with like a Hulk Hogan or you know anyone ultimate warrior anyone WWF was doing so they focused on the athleticism and the wrestling aspect of it where as a kid no I, I really don't care much about it but 
you know, now watching it back, it there's something to be said for the wrestling aspect of a wrestling show, you know, like that's what WCW kind of hung his hat on because they knew at this point they couldn't really compete, especially like Ric Flair left, you know, he's in the WWF. So, you know, they didn't have much to hang their hat on. Yeah, they had Sting in, in, in and a they, had war. Some, they had some workers. Right. And, you know, they've kind of exploited that in a good way. And this match is a perfect example of that where, you know, I'm kind of like glad I didn't watch it back then because I would have hated it based on what I loved from the WWF. The WWF didn't have matches like this on a, not a weekly basis, not a monthly basis, not a pay-per-view basis. You know, like, just because the Intercontinental title was on a workhorse didn't mean that match was always going to be great. So, obviously, you know, at SummerSlam it was great with Bret Hart and the Bulldog, but obviously WrestleMania, Bret Hart, Bronny Piper, but, you know, it wasn't always like that in WWF. Like, there wasn't wasn't always great wrestling. And in WCW, you can really, I mean, there there hasn't been great wrestling on this show that we've been covering, but they always had matches like this that you can count on to deliver and this one did just that yeah no i agree this was a great match uh no surprise rest in peace to both men tom zink yeah. brian pillman uh great great in the ring and like you said wcw for what they lacked in production and and sometimes at least before this direction you know and creativity <laughs> they their roster was still full of guys who can go and you still had sting and Lex yeah. Luger's around somewhere. Was he still yeah. in WWE? No, he's he, WWF he by, by this then, point. But, yeah. but you still got Sting, who's a who's a big name, and you got guys who can work. Like like I said, in that War Games match, everybody can work. Yeah. You know, I, don't, I don't think one guy's yeah. in that match is like, hmm, not that I can remember at least. No, there's no there's no misses between Sting, Barry Windham, Dustin Rhodes, Ricky Steamboat, Koloff, and and and, and all the Dangerous Alliance guys. So that's ten guys right there. <laughs> You know, that's not even counting, again, Ron Simmons, Cactus Jack, Bagwell can go at this point. Flamingo apparently. Vader wasn't good. even there yet. Vader, Vader is there. a big guy, and he could just wrestle with anybody. But that was, like, got the great thing about him. Johnny B. Bad and Tracy Smothers can work. I mean, come on. And not even saying Terry Taylor. People always forget Terry Taylor can uh, go. Taylor-made man. Taylor-made man. And, and Richard Morton, even. <laughs> Ricky <laughs> Morton. Like, but... Yeah, that's what they had. So this match was a showcase of that what of one of their strengths, which was once the bell rang, they could put on some good stuff. Everything else around it, eh, maybe not. Especially if you're uh, a fan of like the story within a match. Uh, you know, I didn't get there until I was older that I appreciated the story being told within a match. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I, I didn't pay attention to any of that stuff. So everything made sense especially with jim ross someone like jim ross on commentary where he could like tell you why something happened if you're just like why did he do that he's like oh he must be going after this or going after that he mu- he must have scouted him so it's like oh well, makes sense that's a wrestling thing that makes sense that's all yeah. i need yeah moving on what well, we got to talk about the winner of the match is brian pillman ah z-man missed a missile drop kick pillman capitalized with the roll-up and the win to retain his championship. But again, this was an exciting match. That finish was like, it was like one pin attempt after another, it felt like. Yeah. And then Pillman finally got yeah. it uh, for the win. So yeah, very exciting match. Very exciting finish and a great call from Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura, but definitely Jim Ross uh, was bringing it during this match. But we move on to another Beach Blast video. 
Hell uh, yeah. Which they call a major rager. Whatever <laughs> the hell that is. At the WrestleMania Rage Party, just different should, rager. That's what the instead of Bash at the Beach, they should have renamed it to that. The major, major rager. rager. Yeah, I would have. I, I would have liked that. Then Beach Blast. Let's call it a major rager. And then it said it was going to be totally beaching, like beaching. Get it? Beach. <laughs> I like it. No. I cannot like it. We move on again. To as you mentioned earlier, a match that is for the number one contendership for the IWGP tag titles. It is the Steiner <laughs> brothers, who are currently the WCW World Tag Team Champions, going against Tatsumi Fujinami, former NWA champion by this point, and Takayuki Izuka, young Takayuki Izuka. Takayuki Izuka. Now. Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not gonna get ahead of myself. But why couldn't this match be for the titles? If they're the champions, why not just make it more interesting? The number one contenders match, and also put the titles on the line. So whoever wins, they have the titles. I have and then no idea for whoever the IWGP Tag Team Champions are at the time. I think it would have been better, but that's why I was, you know, seven years old sitting at home watching WWF over this. Instead of making the calls, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe they just couldn't work something out. I have no idea. Makes but no sense. Here we are uh, with Azuka, by the way, only twenty five years old by the time this match happened. Very young for wrestling. It was thirty five by was... the time it was over. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, because they got they asses <laughs> whooped in this match here, boy. Everybody. They were swinging for the fences Legit in this match. Legit broken noses out here. <laughs> okay. They was going. They was going in. It thought they was in the Tokyo Dome again. Like, <laughs> like, what? Beating the daylights out of each other. Okay. I mean, people. Like I said, people were bleeding. Rick Steiner just tackled Izuka at one point. Oh my god. Just tackled him. It was just crazy. It was just. just it was. Just, I, th- I thought they threw threw punches in this match at some point. <laughs> it was rough. It was wild. Uh, the besides the physicality that was taking place in the ring, Jesse Ventura was complaining about car companies in Japan, like Toyota and Honda, putting American car companies in based in the Steiner's home of Michigan out of business. <laughs> and it's like, what the hell kind of racist stuff did that to say? These guys are got nothing to do with that. <laughs> like, right? Like, who's gonna be mad at that, them for that? Was that his way? Like, it's like you know they're mad I, about that because they're from Michigan, where the car companies are. In America, you, but, you and know, that makes the Steiner brothers look like heels. Which has right. to say Why that, would they dislike not? these guys who don't? They don't work for Honda, or Toyota. Why would they? Oh, I'm, I'm gonna beat the next Japanese person up I see because the damn car companies keep getting shut down. I didn't do that, bro. <laughs> like no. that's 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 wild. No. Let's make everybody xenophobic, even to the point that Jr. had to say like, "Hey, man, that's Jesse Ventura's opinion and his opinion alone." <laughs> like, <laughs> that's not a good way to promote this match, bro. Let's not, beat up a per- pair of professional wrestlers for hurting our car care industry. What? Our car industry? I said car care. Car <laughs> industry? Doesn't make any sense to me. But, um, but yeah, this match was wild. Like that cro- that doomsday device that oh Fujinami and Azuka did wasn't really a doomsday device because Fujinami <laughs> didn't fall backwards. He just stood there 
while he had Rick Steiner's on his, Rick Steiner on his shoulders, Izuka goes to the top rope and just cross bodies Rick Steiner off of Fujinami. Again, Fujinami does not fall down. He just stays up. So Rick Steiner is just tumbling as of a tea kettle to the ground. And Izuka is too kind of. It's all like, what in the world? It was crazy. This match was crazy. At the end of the day, the Steiner brothers won. But man... And the Steiner Brothers won with a <laughs> Rick Steiner hitting Izuka with a belly to belly from the top rope, which is insane for 1992. They're just doing whatever. Yeah, and Steiner Brothers were months away from joining WWF, <laughs> so they wouldn't be here that much longer. And uh, with Izuka getting, uh, you, you notice his nose. I I didn't know if maybe it was like his eye orbital bone at first. Maybe it was both, but they were talking about his eye closing up, and then you could see it. They weren't trying to like put the camera on it too much but just enough so you could see oh yeah he's messed up and i thought maybe he like he got a concussion too because he was like out of it for a while and uh you know kudos to him for he finished the match and he was doing like all these spots and stuff but i think he got like he la got landed on once or twice more after he broke his nose i was like damn dude like he must have been feeling it after this, which is why I said, you know, he's 25, but he must have felt 35, maybe 65. Bro. I don't know, but Bro. dude, I I felt for him after this. <laughs> oh, for everybody, like, dude. <laughs> they this match was 18 minutes and 17 seconds, according oh, to our good old friend Wikipedia. But beating these uh, people's asses for 18 minutes, <laughs> right, bro. Can you imagine right. your ass whooped for 18 minutes straight? Oof. Most fights don't last past like 30 seconds, maybe right, a minute exactly. in real life. But yet, here you are just getting your ass with for 18 straight minutes. <laughs> like, <laughs> damn. Couldn't imagine. Could not imagine. Mm. I'd die. <laughs> like, I'd probably die. I'd probably pass I'd away. I'd try and run away somehow. Right. You had to call my wife. I'm like, you're a widow now. Because one couldn't take in his ass with for 18 minutes. Jeez. Who could? So. But we move on <laughs> to Tony and Eric talking about the main event. And Eric Bischoff speculating something about Nikita Koloff, which, spoiler, doesn't really come to be in this match. But It's like the first time we heard about this, too, right? I, I knew like, of, yeah. In the, the build-up. It's just like, what? They're uh, on the same team live. What is this? They're literally on the same team. Maybe he meant to say Larry Zabisco? Because that was like the person that was had the most questions around him was Larry Zabisco. But After, right? But I, I don't know about I thought there was in. something about him going in, too. Uh, maybe. But... Either way, it is now time for War Games. Okay? That's the official War Games. Uh, is it? Eh. It is. I didn't know. For now. <laughs> okay. Uh, but we end War Games. It is Sting Squadron, consisting of Sting, Barry Windham, Dustin Rhodes, Ricky Steamboat, and Nikita Koloff. It's got to be a squad. It can't be... I mean, it's got to be a squadron. It can't be squad because we're in a squadron. war. We're going to war, right? Again, just go staying squad, y'all. Like, <laughs> not as official, <laughs> you know. Uh, they're going against the Dangerous Alliance, consisting of Rick Rude, Stunning Steve Austin, Larry Zabisco, Arn Anderson, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, mm. and beautiful Bobby Eaton. What a damn lineup of workers here. Not even, like, massive stars, neither. Like, Sting is the biggest star in this match. And Ricky Steamboat was a pretty big star in his own right in the 80s. But, like, oh, I guess you go stunning Steve, because eventually Steve Austin becomes stone-cold Steve Austin. But, like, as they are, not like a 
huge array of like stars. It's just everybody can go. Like there's not a miss in this match. Mm-hmm. You don't see too many of these in war games. <laughs> well, I'd watch a match with each guy going against the other guy on the other team in any in any pairing probably. I'll take Larry Zabisco versus Dustin Rhodes. Ricky Steamboat versus mm-hmm. Steve Austin. We saw that a lot in, I think, 93, 94, yeah. right? Yep. Bobby Eaton versus Sting. Sounds good. <laughs> Barry Windham versus Steve Austin. Rick Rude versus Dustin Rhodes. Like, I'll take, I'll take it all. <laughs> like, <laughs> all right? I'm here for it all. It's crazy. Uh, we got Gary Michael Capetta screaming the, the, the five words that Tony Schiavone wanted to hear. <laughs> Let the war games begin. You know? <laughs> Okay, Michael Capetta sounds. Uh, and the cage starts lowering from the ceiling amidst a hail of fireworks. Okay. And here are the rules. First period is five minutes. Ah. All other periods are two. Oh. After the first period, the referee will toss a coin that the heels will win the toss. It's a near certainty. <laughs> um, the match technically doesn't even begin, though. Well, that coin toss determines who gets the next person in. They get the advantage every time. And But the match technically doesn't begin until everyone is in the ring. There are no once that match begins, there are no pinfalls, only submissions. That's and these are the the best rules of war games. Okay. I don't want pinfalls in war games. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. I just don't need it. Yeah. Right? The match doesn't begin until everyone everyone is in. I think Blood and Guts did it where they were trying to do pinfalls before everybody was in or something like that, right? Does that was that a thing that happened Maybe. at one point? I feel like that did. That, no, can't, you got to have the match beyond. Exactly. The match beyond is when the match actually starts. Also, and, you know, lo and behold, the match beyond. Like that's what it's by if you have that trademark. <laughs> right. But when you do the match beyond, it shouldn't last that long. Right. <laughs> okay. right. Get out. Because you've been, people been seeing people fight for 30 minutes already. Yeah. Get them out of there. But AEW, they stuck around with the match beyond part for like twenty more minutes. <laughs> Nobody wants just. That's why, like, it, what more do we need to see? I see people bleeding. I see weapons. They're punching. They're kicking. Okay, now what? Yeah, especially if it's five on five and not four on four. You have like two extra intervals that you gotta like wait through <laughs> right. before the match beyond starts. Like, I like, I dig the five on five, which I think they confirmed Survivor Series War Games gonna be five on yes. five. But yeah, um, you know, make the intervals shorter or something. Or at least the match beyond part. I'm okay with it because it's a good way to build up heat when the heels are in. When the heels have the advantage, it's it's two minutes. It's two minutes. Why not not four minutes to start instead of five? Like, why five? Because it's a five? Yeah, it's a more marketable number, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to buy this pay-per-view because the intervals aren't until the start of five minutes. It's just a nice round number. You know, five, five minutes. Six minutes? No, I'm out. No, three minutes. Say, I'm no, be there I'm four out. Minutes. You say that I'm in there in five. I'll be there five minutes, bro. Like, don't worry about it. Five minutes. Give me five minutes. Give me five. Twenty minutes later, no. you're still not there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right around the corner. Three three hours later, you still around the corner? <laughs> yeah, man. Still there? <laughs> I'll be right there. You leaving out? I left out already. All right, I, I'm I'm leaving out right now. The old damn well, they're still in the shower. Come on, you leaving out right now? And I'm saying that because I've probably done this myself. <laughs> well, it's funny because, like, I almost get it now because that's how people just operate. But if when I would, like, meet up with my friends at a bar, I'd be going to Jersey and I'd be driving from PA. So I would expect them to already be there by the time I get there. 
But no, they would wait for me to be in the parking lot before they even leave their house to come to the park. I'm like, you sons of bitches. <laughs> and now I'm sitting there now. waiting in the parking lot. It's like, I hated doing that, but like, I came to learn that's just how people are. As much as I hate it, yeah. you know, like... I still find myself, sucks. like, me and my wife, we're like, we try to be on time places, but then we realize, like, we just... We just came to realize, like, our friends, just, nothing starts on time. Like, <laughs> we we worry so much about being late. But, like, nothing ever starts on time. We just, we got to be late one time. But it's like, well, our friends, you say that, oh, party starts at 8. People don't start showing up till 9.30. Like, it's not <laughs> even like, we're trying to be there at 8, though. Like, oh, we're on time. And, like, nobody's even here yet. <laughs> like, they're not even ready yet. And especially over my one friend's house where we show up early. We get, Then we got to get put to work. It's like, bro, we gotta go over here. <laughs> right and wait, now, you like you're you're a host by default. Right now, we gotta help. <laughs> I gotta sit, you know, take this chicken out there to so and so. Let them put the chicken on the grill. Bring that pan. Then he we hand the plate to the grill master. Hand the pan to them. They're like, oh, take this pan in. It's like, bro, I didn't come here for this. By the way, can you fix my curtain? It's like, no. <laughs> I came here to eat and drink. <laughs> That's what I came here to do. Not help out. You mind cleaning the bathroom real quick? <laughs> Like, exactly, like it's always something. It's always something. Like, wait, man. clean in the bathroom? What? <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I swear, this is what happens. That's not an exaggeration. Why is it not me. clean by the time I get That's here? That's not an exaggeration. Wait, they're supposed to clean it early, but now you showed up on time. It's too early for them. So they didn't get a chance to yet. They're running behind. <laughs> now they need your help. So, but as far as the match itself, War Games. War Games. Back to War Games. <laughs> Uh, Dangerous Alliance comes out and Paulie literally has a sheet of paper with the game plan on it for War Games. He, he's got it. it all mapped out. Because they don't know yet who will have the advantage, which I like. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So they had it all mapped out and he's like, you get them over to this corner and you do this here, but Steve, you gotta be the start one to start it off. And Steve Austin is the first one in. And that was, I thought that was pretty cool. That they had that little huddle there and aired it. Sorry about that. Uh, but Austin, he's first in in his very first war games. I don't. I think it's probably his only war games, uh, but definitely his first. Uh, and then Jesse Ventura compared uh, Paul Lee to Vince Lombardi and George Hallis, which of course Vince Lombardi, Packers coach, legendary coach in the NFL. His name is on the, the, the Super Bowl trophy. It is a Vince Lombardi trophy. Oh, that's where it's from. Yeah, and George Hallis. <laughs> Uh, Bears founder, they call him Papa Bear. He founded the Bears. He's a great coach for the Bears for a long time. And his name is on the NFC Championship trophy. It is a George Hallis trophy. So, uh, so two great coaches in the NFL. Jim Ross, on the other hand, compared him to Jim Jones. <laughs> Not the rapper Jim Jones. Mm. The cult leader Jim Jones. <laughs> oh. oh. You know Jim Jones? We t- I believe you brought him up before on the podcast. I probably have. But yeah. for those that didn't know, he was a big cult leader in this 70s out in california it started out as like a regular old good old-fashioned church and didn't turn into a cult and he moved his whole cult to africa i forget which country in africa but he moved them over there they built their own village they said they had their own town it's pretty much called i think it was officially called jonestown hmm. and you know they had their own little thing going there until jim jones was doing weird stuff and the, the authorities was watching and then the, when the authorities is coming in and the walls are closing in he had everybody drink cyanide and they all died this, oh. Yeah. He didn't want to drink it, though. They had to shoot him. Ooh. <laughs> they had to shoot him. He didn't want to drink it. He so was like, you ever hear people, We ever hear people, exactly. 
But you ever hear people say, oh, they drank in the Kool-Aid. That's what they're kind of yeah. referencing to because they made yeah. it look red and like Kool-Aid. Mm. You know. But yeah, this is like everybody. Women, children, the whole thing. And th- their bodies were strewn about around this village. You know what's funny? How many trolls use that phrase without knowing where it came from? <laughs> right. Oh, you're drinking the Kool-Aid? The Kool-Aid? I, I just heard this because another reporter said it. I know what it means, though. I got your ass. <laughs> no, man. No, you can see, like, there's pictures of, like, bodies everywhere yeah. around yeah, this town. I, it's wild yeah. stuff. So, so yeah, you don't want to be compared to Jim Jones. That's bad. <laughs> uh, Austin comes out, though. He's in the ring. He's in the cage. He's the first one in. He's starting off against Uncle Howdy. Oh, I mean, Barry <laughs> Wyndham. <laughs> oh, is that who Uncle Howdy's going to be? I think so. everybody thinks that's a theory that's working out there on the internet. That yeah, Uncle Howdy is going to be very. I see with. that, and also it, the mask kind of. I mean, you could be like, oh yeah, yeah I can see. Yeah, Max, I guess looks a little bit like Barry. I guess, yeah. I mean, whatever. That'd be dope, though, if it's Barry Wyndham. I'm here for it. I, I don't know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> where either. we're going. That's it's so funny because my nephew's just getting into it and he loves it and he's texting me like, what. What's the latest on it? And I'm like, I don't know, dude. I literally have no clue. Plus, the Phillies are the World Series. Like, what? I'm not paying attention to this. I'm sorry. He's like, but but back to important things. Who's Uncle Howdy? No, no, so, I don't want to talk about Reese Hoskins. Who's Uncle Howdy? Trey Turner. Let's talk about him. But, uh, Let's talk about Trey Turner. But, Come on, yeah, Phillies. I'll be – I'm more looking at it now. I still don't understand the whole thing. Like, no matter how many times I watch it, but we'll see. I, we'll get answers soon enough, maybe, or not. Yeah, yes, we will. But back to War Games. Barry Windham comes into the ring, and he, he, they're throwing he's, punches uh, right away. He's healed from his injuries at Halloween Havoc. Or Dustin oh, Rose oh, had to race right. him to the ER. So right, right, right. Barry's back. Right, he's back, and he's swinging punches at Steve <laughs> Austin, right? Dangerously is... Mapping out the next move. They had a plan for each scenario, whether they won I or lost it. a toss. I love it. That's it. That, I like it, too. But we all know the reality. They're going to win. Okay. <laughs> uh, but before that, Wyndham opens up Austin. He busts him open by rubbing his face along the cage. Oh. The period ends, though, and, of course, the heels win the toss. Mm, mm, mm. The next guy in is ravishing Rick Rude, and he starts whooping Barry Wyndham's ass <laughs> immediately. Austin finally gets up. By the way, Austin... The most offense you'll see get him getting this match is going to be in this first period. Because after this point, he's just selling and bleeding the rest of the <laughs> match. <laughs> like, right? Just selling and bleeding. He's helping Rick Rude, though. You know, but that advantage only lasts about a minute. Again, there's only two minutes in between each period now. And Steve Austin is just lying on the ground bleeding for one minute. And then the last minute he comes in, he finally gets some hits in. But here comes Ricky Steamboat now to even the odds. Mm. Okay. Ricky Steamboat. Now, again, Austin just getting his ass whipped over here <laughs> and yeah. bleeding and selling. Right? Steamboat does his thing where that brings in Arn Anderson, the enforcer. The one of the, he was among the first two people ever in the war games. And here comes Arn. And to put a stop to all of Ricky Steamboat's momentum, uh, Rude and Anderson locked Rick, <laughs> Rick Rude and Arn Anderson put Ricky Steamboat in a Boston Crab, but they each had one of his legs. <laughs> <laughs> It's like they're going to tear this man in half or something. Ouch. Right? Then they tossed his ass from one ring to the other ring. <laughs> like, this Yeah, is like, fine. with ease. Like, uh, <laughs> dude landed almost in the center of the other ring. 
<laughs> he went flying through the air. Like he got kicked out of uh, Uncle Phil's house or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, damn. Right? And then we get Dustin Rhodes. He hops in. The natural. The natural. Dustin Rhodes comes in the ring. And he's wrecking things. He literally, like I said earlier, hit an atomic drop <laughs> on Steve Austin and bopped his head off the top of the cage. Bonk. <laughs> like, poor Steve Austin. And this is when I noted he spent most of the match selling and bleeding. <laughs> like, that's all he did. You get your head bopped off the top of the cage. It's a rough night. Right? But then Wyndham. He puts Arn Anderson's head in between the rings. <laughs> like, like they were like finding ways, finding creative ways to hurt each other, which I kind of, I kind of like because I think the modern matches they get kind of bogged down with the weapons. Yeah. And to me, I don't necessarily need weapons in the war games, right? This is why the match shouldn't last too long, <laughs> right? Because they get the trash cans and the kendo sticks. Now you're just watching people swing on each other with weapons, and that <laughs> that lasts for like 20 minutes. It's like, all right, we got it, we got it. Yeah. Now what? Uh, Larry Zabisco comes in and to give the heels advantage. However, he gets his ass whooped. <laughs> like Larry Zabisco can't do nothing right. He, as soon as he gets in, he's supposed to be yeah, third man here, ready to whoop some whoop some butt. Oh no, I'm getting my ass whooped. He's stomping me out now. Supposed to be the living legend. Not on this hell? night. <laughs> Not on this night. He's about to be a dead legend after they got finished with him. We'll talk about it, right? But then now Medusa, she's climbing to the top of the cage, right? And she climbs up there with Paul E. Dangerously brick of a cell phone. It makes no sense. What makes you know, no sense? Why did she drop it she from the top? Up, that she went to the top. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. She couldn't slide that through the cage at the bottom? She could have. <laughs> we see like how much room there is when, at the, on the apron from the cage. She could have easily just slid it under were, without. Were the but, holes bigger on, the, on top? <laughs> like, no, they like... The whole premise, because they never shot it. They never shoot, like, the the cage where it meets with the apron because there's such a big gap there. So, you know, I, I realized what she was doing. It's like, oh, put the phone down. And I'm like, okay, like, I get that's an excuse to make her go climb to the top. But they never did anything with it because Sting went to the top and just to scare her down, I guess. And they never did anything with it. But then I look at the bottom. It's like she easily could have just slipped her arm under there so, and put the phone underneath his, his where the apron is. It just made no sense. What I'm thinking is they wanted to, the crowd to know that she did that so she can get heat. The only way or the best way, I guess, is for her, her to do that with everyone knowing is for her to climb to the uh, top. That's my stupid. assumption. I don't like it. Is that get they wanted the live audience to know <laughs> she intentionally... Drop the phone in there so Arn Anderson could pick it up and knock the hell out of Dustin Rhodes with it. That's, that's, only that's the only thing that makes sense. Like I get you because then the crowd who didn't have a good angle would be like, "How the hell did he get the phone?" Like, you right. know, because so, you all of a sudden yeah. you see him pop up with a phone. The door's like, supposed to be locked. Like, what the hell? Right. Or you could have just waited for the next entry and then threw it in there. I, I don't know. That would have been that would have made the same. I guess the crowd. Un- know that that happened because they i think they would obviously be paying attention to who went in the in the cage the door but yeah i mean i guess you you have to have that visual though of them on top right that's what war games is yeah that too. even though they didn't do anything with it you still have to have that visual yeah and again you can see her plainly helping uh cheating to help her guys win Mm-mm-mm. uh but and it works because, as I said, Arn Anderson immediately wasted zero time 
when picking up that phone and clocking Dustin Rhodes in the face with it, as you said, Sting climbs up to confront Medusa. Was he gonna throw her off? I don't know. She just climbed down though. But Sting is the next guy in, and he beats everybody up like he's Chuck Norris, like one after another. He's backhanding people like Steven Seagal. Bam, boom. Like people was like trying to sneak up from behind him, and he would just throw his fist up. Boom. And I see in the movies like. Wow, and they just run into his fist and fall down. Like that was <laughs> that was what was happening in this match right now. All right, he's even pressing Rick Rude into the top of the cage like a bully, like a high school yeah, bully, yeah. just constantly cool. lifting him up <laughs> into the cage like he was knocking him silly, bro. <laughs> <laughs> like what? This match was wild. We had uh, Barry Windham giving Arn Anderson a swirly between the ring or whatever he was doing to him. <laughs> Then you got <laughs> Dustin Rhodes bopping Steve Austin at the top of the cage. And now we got Sting literally just gorilla pressing Rick Rude over and over again. Back first into the cage. Wild stuff is happening in this match. And then just throwing him to the side like he was nothing. Like he was a piece <laughs> of garbage. All right. He was throwing the entire group, the entire Dangerous Alliance around like they were some suckers. All right. Because Sting was the franchise. He's the guy. So he's going to beat everybody up. Okay? But in comes, at last, for the Dangerous Alliance, it is beautiful Bobby Eaton, who is taping up his hand. Right? And then we get a shot of Dustin Rhodes, and he is bleeding buckets. And, like, everyone's bleeding, but Dustin Rhodes' face was a proverbial crimson mask, as Jim Ross could have said on this night. He did not say. Um... Then you got the Dangerous Alliance. They're trying to loosen the turnbuckles. Okay? They're trying to loosen one of them. Then Nikita Koloff comes in. And now it is time for the match beyond. As, as another Gary Michael Capetta impersonation. I thought we were joined by him for a second. It's <laughs> pretty good. The turnbuckle finally comes loose, thanks to Bobby Eaton, who is also trying to repair it back into a weapon again or something. <laughs> like He's like messing with it, trying to make it nice again. Then one of the didn't that look one of the rings had blood all over the damn things. Good lord, this is crazy. And then for poor Bobby Eaton finally fixes his damn weapon for Larry Zabisco to use on Sting. And he's holding up Sting, like, yeah, you got him now, baby. Come on, let's hit him. And then Larry Zabisco <laughs> swings, Sting ducks, and it hits Larry hit Bobby Eaton in the arm. Poor Bobby Eaton. Oh no, not the arm. He spent all that time fixing that damn thing just to get hit with it. <laughs> made his own weapon to, to be used against him. Sting saw this and immediately jumped on Bobby Eaton, put him in some type of arm lock, arm, arm lock, <laughs> arm lock, arm lock to force a submission and to give the victory to Sting's squadron oh, man. In, a, in, in a fantastic match. I couldn't have enjoyed this match any more than I did. I think, honestly, better than what either promotion is capable of or what they have done in recent memory. Oh, yeah, and War Games, absolutely. Kind of like what War Games should be, you know, a battered and bloody brawl with people who have uh, issues with each other, not just uh, convenient to match them up against each other, but actually, like, grudges and stuff like that. And I I thought the whole Nikita Koloff thing was weird. Um, it's like, oh, you're... you, you ha- I get, But then I get it where, like, okay, you're on Sting's team, but... And you could say as much as you want, you're on the same side, but until we see you in action against the Dangerous Alliance, we still can't trust you unless you beat up on them. And then, like, so, like, I came around to that a little bit. I thought it was corny as hell when I first watched it, 
But in the story, which I don't think they hammered home that they could have, is that, okay, Sting can only trust Nikita Koloff so much because of their past, you know, feud. Um, but until it's put in action where he can actually see Nikita uh, beat up these guys inside war games, he's never going to fully trust them. And then, you know, they do the whole, like, high five and stuff like that. So I guess I get it in a way. I still think it was kind of, like, weird to do, but if you tell that story, it makes sense. And Nikita Koloff was still like a pretty big star at this point. Um, I don't think at, at the level that he would have been years prior, but, um, you know, I, I don't think he even would have been here if Magnum TA didn't have to retire because of an injury. Like Magnum TA probably would have been in here uh, true. at, at some true. point. So, uh, you know, I guess, you know, you know, you can only when I go back and think to this era. You know, that's kind of like you, your questions can be answered. It's like, what the hell, Nikita is Nikita Koloff doing here? Uh, it's probably because Magnum TA is hurt. You know, yeah, it's 1992, and that happened like years prior. But um, that that was, I, I think, the main story was that for Sting's team, and then obviously with uh, <laughs> we what we're going to, you know, see. After the match, where the whole Dangerous Alliance is pissed at Larry. <laughs> well, yeah, they like, had what a the right hell to hit the homeboy in the arm. <laughs> He's like, oh, they made do. I mean, it's like, but you did it. It wasn't <laughs> right. It still happened. It wasn't necessarily like his fault. I mean, Sting ducked out of the way and put Bobby Eaton in harm's way, but like. I guess he was messing up. They was grilling him up, though, man. They was definitely grilling him up. <laughs> I thought, like you saw, like this is where I love Arn Anderson because he, it, they're all confronting Larry, and he walks behind Larry to make it look like he's gonna jump him, but he doesn't. So you're, you're like Larry doesn't get jumped by the Dangerous Alliance. So like you're kind of thinking to the next show, like okay, what's gonna happen? You don't automatically get that payoff that you know the Dangerous Alliance. Dangerous Alliance turns on Larry. You kind of have to wait, you know, to see what happens from there. So, in a wrestling perspective, I like that because you you could have sworn Arn Anderson was going to like attack his ass for that. The way he went around behind him and he was like he had like his arm ready, locked and loaded, ready to pounce on Larry, but he didn't. And I thought that was kind of cool to end it that way, where they're just pissed at Larry, but they don't jump him. I'm sure they would eventually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but like, I, I, it's a good thing because it, I guess it would have taken away a little bit from Sting's team. Maybe they didn't want to take, you know, the focus off Sting's team winning and all that. But, uh, you know that, I, I get, like, if they were to do it that way, at the end of this pay per view, like, it, it would kind of focus the attention to Dangerous Lions. Maybe they didn't want to do it so. But I love the way Arn Anderson played that up. Like, they were about to kick it Larry's ass, but they never did. <laughs> They're just yelling at him. That was all. <laughs> uh, back to the actual match. Again, I, I I think WCW had a good formula for war games in that when you had the match beyond be short, you leave the people wanting more. You leave the people happy if it's a babyface win, you know, because the odds are even the babyface is – Typically, when the odds are even, they come out on top. So if the baby faces win, the ha- people are happy, obviously, and they and they want more. And you don't overstay your welcome. And I think this past at least AEW's in blood and guts. This last one, I think, overstayed his welcome a little bit. So 
you know, that you go through the thing, but the match beyond should not be super duper long. Like it, five, six minutes, you know, maybe seven minutes, something like that. Like, I don't know how long this was, but it wasn't that long after Nikita Kolov got in because everybody had already beaten the hell out of each other for like 25 minutes. So, yeah. I don't know. I do, I do wonder, didn't, uh, was it Santana or Ortiz that got hurt? Ooh, I can like, forget which one. They hurt his knee, and uh, I, I know that probably made an audible, but at the yeah, same time, that you don't have, like, you, to your point, you don't have to drag out the match beyond part just because of an injury. You can actually no. maybe, to to the benefit, make it shorter. Um, you don't need to tell all these stories at once. Uh, you don't need the match beyond to be, like, as long as no. the intervals to, for people to enter, you know? Or even longer than that. So, um, I, I, when was the last one? Did, we did the live commentary, right? On the last one, was it this past year? It was earlier yeah, in twenty twenty two, right? Yeah, May or something like that. It was sometime this year, yeah. Because uh, Eddie and uh, Cesaro was here. Claudio, uh, I remember them having like a little thing, but then they just did a handshake on top of the cage, and it's like, oh well, there was a story that yeah, had been told yeah. there that they kind of. Yeah, this was, uh, this so. was June. Uh, 29th. Okay. Yeah, so, and I know there was an injury, so, um, but yeah, I mean, they, there's a lot they could do with that. There's a lot WWE can do with war games. I'm actually looking forward to Survivor Series because it, you got to hope the bloodline's in there against another team and see, oh, they, see how. They, too. they can't, you can't that, have all five members and right. they're not on in the blood war games. Right. They're, they're, they're tailor made for war games. And again, right. I, like I said, this is where, for me, if I'm booking it, this is where you start to see cracks in the foundation at war games. Yes, and that like I want to see that story. I want to see the start of it. I want to see the bloodline in that atmosphere of war games and and like I'm not saying it's necessarily going to feel different it, like I don't know, maybe Triple H he's he's been all right, you know, like overall he hasn't like Raw's been kind of like eh, lately, but for a, a bloodline angle and storyline, I think they're gonna like put all their chips in that basket. And listen, like I'm here for it. I'm here for Sammy. I'm here for Solo. I'm here for Jay. I'm here for Jimmy, and I'm here for Roman in War Games. See what they do amongst each other. I don't even care who's on the other team at this point. <laughs> I mean, they're probably gonna have stuff play out, you know, storyline wise over the few weeks. Uh, but dude, like I'm here for the bloodline and war games. And I think with triple H had a creative right now, we will see uh, a good story play out. Cause you almost have to, right? Like you can't just have them go into war games, beat everyone up. And then like, everything's peachy. Like, like you said, you, we have to start seeing cracks because whether we like it or not, we're on the road to WrestleMania already. It doesn't start at the Royal rumble, but you know, with, with this bloodline angle, you could easily, start planting seeds right now in November. And then when you change Survivor Series to War Games, you better be planting seeds. <laughs> so you better not wait till Royal Rumble. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, I think Survivor Series is when you start to see cracks. I don't mean it's like a full-fledged dissolution of the group, no, or same or same thing no. gets kicked out. I think it's just the beginning of more to come. But you got to they got to lose. I think they should lose War Games because that's how you start to see the cracks. They've been so right on this high for so long, yeah. but they lose not the titles, right. war games. Right. 
get the baby faces, the non-title, the big non-title win. And now they're like, oh, what? What's going on? How do we lose war games? That's just how I would do it, at least. That's a good point. And I, I, there was this thread, and I wish I remembered the user, but um, this thread that kind of laid out the timeline of the uh, storyline with the bloodline with Roman coming back and winning the titles in 2020, or winning the title in 2020, and then Jay coming in and having that feud, and then Jimmy coming back, and just everything, and how Jay... Jay was the first one to go against Roman with the whole, you know, family storyline. And he, he's he been forced to back Roman up because he lost that Hell in a Cell match. Like, he's been forced to do this all along, and now Sami Zayn comes in. And like, you know, they kind of went through this timeline in that Twitter thread. I was like, damn, like, you know, the more we see and, like, Maybe Jay's going to be the eventual one to go, be the first one to go back against Roman at some point because Roman is showing how obedient he wants Jay to be in the form of Sami Zayn, since Sami Zayn's like so obedient and stuff. And Roman's like playing this game this whole time. And I love it. Like, I, I you know, it makes a lot of sense. And hopefully that's what they're doing storyline wise. And it's not just like a great Twitter user <laughs> thread that, you know, kind of explains it for you, which. You know, I know Triple H is in charge, but God forbid uh, they do something stupid to screw this all up. You know, it's still a possibility at any level in wrestling for one decision to screw everything up. But it's a hell of an angle and a hell of a story. Uh, I think, you know, Jay's got a broken wrist now, too. So I, I don't know, like, if he's going to be able to go through that, like, wrestling. But he's better be on TV every week because... I'll tell you, man, this shit's entertaining as hell. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the best stuff in wrestling right now. I don't care what nobody say. There's nothing better than the bloodline right now in wrestling. Period. That's just it. Uh, but back to war games. Back to wrestle war, I should say. Uh, we're going to wrap up the show. Tony Schiavone and Eric Bischoff, they wrap it up. Uh, I probably could have done without this part. It does kind of kill the momentum of the telecast when they have those two after all that. It's like the show ends on this big adrenaline rush, and then you go, you got to see them. But again... Yeah. It happens like in normal sports sometimes, so I don't I don't know. It just maybe I wouldn't do the ending like they do it here. But wait, we go back to Jr. and Jesse Ventura, which is also kind of an odd ending. Uh, they're, so, they're talking into the camera, and then some photographer just comes into the shot into the background. It's like, what the hell are you doing here, bro? And it quickly leaves. Like, bro, don't you see that they're they're looking at a camera? They're on television. What is the purpose of you looking dead into the camera and being like, oh, here I am. Oh, no, I'm not supposed to be here. Like, what? You weren't taking a picture. <laughs> what you doing? So that upset me. But that is the end of, <laughs> of Wrestle War 1992. That, ref, uh, that referee got in Dave Spadero's way when he was doing an interview. <laughs> but at least, like, he was trying to walk to, like, somewhere. He just he, he didn't know the camera was there. I felt like you see... He looked dead into the camera when he slid <laughs> over there. It's like, bro, what are you doing? Why were you even here? There's nothing to take photos of. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. That's that, that was wild. But let's wrap up episode three forty three of the pod with some oh, plugs, man. please. I haven't done this in a while. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm on Twitter at underscore Pacone, and I'm also, uh, well, we are also at the Shooters Pod on Twitter and we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash the shooters pod. You can check out my stuff at Philly influencer.com. Uh, check out Fox page Ambler, 
foxphlgambler.com. And yeah, there you go. Well, there you go. I'm at Vaughn M. Johnson on Twitter. You can find me there out here in these streets. Uh, you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash theshooterspod, where you can make a request for a future deep dive. And with along with that deep dive, we will have you make a cameo on the show to talk about the show or the event or the happening that we're diving deep to, diving deep into on that particular episode. Again, patreon.com slash theshooterspod. For Nick Bacone, I am Vaughn Johnson. Thanks for listening to episode 343 of The Straight Shooters, and we'll catch y'all again next time. Hey, Clavis, wake up. The show's over. Oh, yeah. Kick it.